Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Nerdy Show Book Club is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop. Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Nerdy Show Book Club. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Denica. Hi, I'm Brandon. And I'm Colin. In Nerdy Show Book Club, well, we talk about books that we've read, and we also read a book along with you guys. Oh. Yes, it's a community read-along book, and we do dramatic readings, and we do reviews. Sometimes we do authorial interviews, though not this time, and funny stuff happens, so you should stay tuned. Haha. <laughs> the book that we're reading <laughs> this time is The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. Oh, that's how you pronounce his name. I was like, Gaiman. It's not Gaiman, is it? It's Gaiman. Okay. <laughs> I, don't think so. I don't think so, no. He listens to this, so he'll correct us later. So we got uh, myself, we got Colin, we got Brandon. You're probably familiar with these voices from previous Nerdy Show book clubs. If not, you're going to generally hear a lot of us, but we have a rotating hotspot seat, and in this seat, it, <laughs> it is, is Denica rotating. from Nerdy Show. Denica, here you are. Hello. Hi. How you doing? Doing, doing great, thanks. Hello. Good. Thank you for coming Excellent. to the show. You're welcome. My she, pleasure. She actually reads books. She should be on here more than I am. <laughs> If you want in, a real, in, want a in, real in discussion the, about books, you get in her. In the hot seat here, we have Brandon's replacement, Denica. <laughs> yes. I mean, if you, if you want a fake discussion about books with some humor added in, then you get me. You are funnier than I am. That's true. Damn right. But I'm, <laughs> that wasn't but I'm smarter funny at all. than you are. So. Whatever. What's the square root of seven? That's right. You don't know it. Anyway, moving on. I don't know it. I don't don't know invite me don't. on to Nerdy Show Math Club. Oh, shit. Can we do that? <laughs> Uh, I don't want to be on that show. <laughs> I'm saying, um, <laughs> no, no. I'm not that kind of nerd. Let's, let's keep going. Let's, let's, let's move along. This has actually been a long time coming. This is the first full episode of Nerdy Show Book Club in like two years. The show, has it really been that long? I think it has. I, I'm Jesus. pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> it, the last full episode of Book Club was a Go Berserk with Michael Grant episode, which came out in January 2014. Well, that was a big episode, though, because we, we, we had him on. We had, yeah, we had Michael Grant on the show, author of Animorphs and Berserk. And, uh, and it was great. However, uh, Book Club took a nap for a while. An unexpected nap 
And in fact, this episode is also out late. It turns out getting Book Club back on its feet alongside every other project we're working on has proven to be tricky, to say the least. Which is why, even though Nerdy Show Book Club is now a standalone series, separate from regular Nerdy Show episodes, we're giving it the spotlight this week to reintroduce it, finally get this episode out, and hopefully kick off a regular release schedule. So, if you're new to Nerdy Show Book Club, we hope you dig it. We certainly do. And what we're shooting for is a new episode out every other month. But the point is that we are trying to be regular about this sucker, so read along with us and have a good time. And I guess if you were with us before the big break, you may have read Ocean at the End of the Lane twice by now. <laughs> if uh, you I have. As, as have I. I, <laughs> I, I read it right before you're supposed to record, and then it got postponed. So, But I, I think I remember it. I was going to say, if you haven't read it yet, hit pause right now, read the book, and then hit play. No, 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 no. <laughs> what? Don't, do not do that. Do not do, not do that. But what if they haven't read it? They well, want to hear the episode. That's great. We're going to do our whole thing, and then that stuff, that spoilery discussion about the book, well, that's going to be at the end of the episode. Oh, okay. Don't worry about spoilers. We will relegate them to a nice little box at the end of the episode so you can enjoy this. If you want to like get an overview of the book, well, we'll be talking about that. But if you want spoilers, we'll be talking about that too, but we will be very clearly denoted. So don't even worry. So the episode will be categorized into pre-spoiler and post-spoiler. Uh, yeah, that's the format. Yes. Okay. Pre-spoiler being the whole episode and then the post-spoiler being just a little bit. Just enough for us to have our discussion. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Anything, anything could happen. It's already show book club. Whoa! That's a magical world of imagination! What? <laughs> wow! You're laughing like it's, it's not true. It's, uh, you know, it's true. It's totally true. <laughs> da -da -da. Did you not hear the theme song? I mean, don't, don't take. You're right, Denica. Do not take my word for it. I, yep. <laughs> I forgot about that. I forgot. I'm getting flashbacks now. Don't, you forgot don't, about. Don't, don't take Jesus. my word for it. I realized we didn't we didn't do it in the last episode because we we had an episode that we published that was just Colin and I being like, "Yo, we read a lot of books. Nerdy Show Book Club is coming back. Please dust off Neil Gaiman and read along with us." So if you haven't checked that out, you should do it because we talked about some fun books and we had a reading from uh, from a Goofflumps book, um, <laughs> which is not a Goosebumps book, but also more on that later. Might as well be. It's just as good. You're right. They are on par with each other. So I guess uh, the, the question begs to be asked, aside from uh, Ocean at the End of the Lane, what have we read? Should I go? Because I've read, I've, I'm pretty sure we should go in the order of least amount of books read, and that would be me. That's definitely Wait a minute. You. So, Brandon, like, you actually read something? <laughs> yes, but take the S off of books because I read a book. Holy shit. It, cap, it, we, it get, wasn't, we get extra money. It wasn't a bird book. It wasn't a manual or, like, how to drive a tractor or any, any sort of, like, manual how As to operate machinery. Yeah, because, you know, I love tractors. I think they're sexy. Um, the, the one book, okay, one of my favorite authors... Uh, <laughs> You know what's weird? Here's how my brain works. I was thinking of forklift, but I said tractor, and those are not similar. <laughs> I was like, what is that thing? What is that thing? Just fucking say it's a tractor. And I said tractor, but I meant forklift. He likes the pokey bits. I like the pokey bits, guys. All right, so what the fuck did you read, Brandon? Okay, so Garth Nix, who writes the Abhorsen trilogy, that is the only books I talk about because it's the only shit I read. Which is a fantasy trilogy. Yeah, for, I don't know, young adults or Brandon's. The, um, the, the hypothetical young adult author yeah. audience, which is apparently everyone. Yes. Yes. Because they're good. Anyway, he, after dozens of years, because I don't know the actual number, he came out with a fourth book called Clarial, and it actually has to do with one of the main characters and how they got started before the other trilogy even happened and how they became basically a bad guy. But you cool. don't really know who it is till the end of the book. You kind of you kind of try to guess. But this is something you wouldn't know until you, unless you've read the trilogy. So, it's a main character from the trilogy, but you just they don't ever explain how they got to that point. 
And so this book that came out many years later explains it. Is it a standalone or is it like going to be? A, the it's first? a standalone. It's one book. It take well, it takes place in the same universe, but it's just a prequel about this character and how they got to where they are. So it's it's a standalone story about this character. Yes. Cool. So it's not like a pre-trilogy. No, 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 no. They're not. There's not going to be several books. I mean, the it, the conclusion happens in that in that one book. So, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And that's what I read, guys. Is it about the cat? No, but the cat. Oh, I the wish cat you'd is write a book it. about just the cat. The cat is in it. Um, they haven't gotten to a book yet that explains everything about the cat, but we do know a little bit about him. I guess I tune in to previous episodes of Nerdy oh, Book Club the for, for the cat because I recall that we did go into this at length at one point. <laughs> He's a free Actually, magic being, no big deal. Well, and you learn a lot more about Majin in this book, though. Probably, but I, man, I read this book a while ago. <laughs> you do. You said between now and last book club, so, it was like two years I read one book. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. I read a Squirrel Girl issue, though. Is that cool? That's not a, I mean, it's a comic, but. And that, and that was like two weeks ago. It was really good, though. It was like totally good. She goes to college and everything. Denica, what have you been reading? Here's the problem. So I read constantly. It's how I relax. It's how I waste time. It's how you stay up all night and don't get enough sleep. Or how I try to go to sleep. <laughs> and I also read on an app on my phone through the uh, Orange County Public Library. I can get books. So. Oh. So I don't you read, have like on your do you read on your phone? Yes. I don't know. How I've, she been, does, like, I've been reading. Yeah, I've been. Well, mm, mostly exclusively. I basically it. I right now I think I own like four actual books. <laughs> One of them is a dictionary. It's no, I, I own words. more books than that. But basically uh, the Garth Nix Sabriel series, the American Gods book by Neil Gaiman and Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Like those are the books that I've had forever, like the actual physical copies of books. But I think since I moved to Florida, probably like eight years now. Um, so maybe for at least six years, I've been mostly reading on my phone. Our libraries out that they have are better online. This app that I can download books. So the issue I'm having is there's no like list of what I've read oh, over the years. What? So I have well, to what, try to what? remember. I mean, I, I ain't asking for your life story. What have you, you been reading recently? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, <laughs> what, what kind of books do you read at night? When you're not sleeping, because I'm kind of curious as to the crap fest that you don't ever tell me that you're reading. Uh, well, currently the the do current crap fest that I'm reading. Dragons. Well, I did read a series about dragons, the uh, the Aragon series. Um, oh. okay. from Lord of the Rings, Aragorn. Uh, yeah, Paulini. It was, uh, it was turned into a movie not so very long ago, right? Right, but I don't think I ever saw the movie. So I read that recently, and that was actually pretty good. The whole good. thing. Yeah, the whole series. <laughs> so, all right, I got a question for you about that because I read the first one, Aragon, and I read the second one, Eldest. But like after that one, I just dropped off because Brissinger, I, <laughs> I just couldn't. You get were tired into... of trying to say that word in your head. Yeah, and uh, and then what's the last one? Inher inheritance or something? Yeah, inheritance. Yeah, because it's the inheritance cycle. Right. Yeah. That. I have that no was, idea yeah. what they're talking about. Yeah. Can, I, we, get some, can we get some, uh, some some background here, guys? Basically, there used to be a set of people called the Dragon Riders who were kind of like they just Justice League or whatever. Basically, <laughs> but they rode dragons. They rode dragons and they kept the peace and did whatever. And then this one guy who became a Dragon Rider basically like decimated the whole population of dragons and became like the only guy. And he lived for this hundreds like of years. Game and, like, of Thrones. <laughs> I'm serious. Yes. And like took over the land or whatever. And then this kid gets born. Joffrey. He finds a, a dragon egg, basically. The dragon hatches, whatever. He becomes the next dragon rider after they've been gone, except for this one evil king for decades or maybe centuries. So that's the premise of it, basically. So it, it's him becoming a dragon rider and then defeating this evil king. 
Okay. How to Train Your Dragon? <laughs> How to Train I, I Your ne- Dragon. Which I've never seen, honestly. But slower. But slower. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good series, though. Um, <laughs> currently, though, the, the smut that I'm reading is the Morganville Vampire series from Rachel Kane, which what, is... Okay, Rachel Kane sounds like a Harlequin... Well, it's author. a fake. It's a it's a pen name. Okay, uh, I can't remember what the heck her real name is. Her real name's not even that bad, and, so I don't know why. And what was, what was the name um, of the series again? The Morganville Vampires. Morganville. And is this is this like a tween? It's like, it's it's a tween teen book. It, There's a bunch of fucking like romance and like eighteen year olds getting married and like bullshit. Oh my God, and I, so wow, basically, I, it's wait. this town in Texas wow. that that was started and is run by vampires. And there's humans, but they're oh, basically wow. like they can't. The humans can't leave the town, like the families that that live there, because they are the vampire source of food. Like they have to donate blood to this blood bank. Um, oh my god! As like taxes okay, am, to the mayor, the, the, the vampire mayor. Why, why, why are they not being like assaulted by like the military or invaded or like the national guard? Because it's this podunk town in in fucking Texas, and they've got special powers and dudes that like. No one's allowed to leave the town. Are there werewolves that knows too? Knows what's going on? You know what? No, it was just vampires. Are there teenage girls who fall in love with vampires? Of course. Is the main okay. character a girl? Teenage yes. girl. Oh, okay. Of course. Why? The main Why? character is a teenage girl who's like fourteen and super smart and trying to go to MIT, but her parents, I guess, convince her to go to this college in this town oh um, before going oh to MIT. <laughs> I'm kind, oh, wow. It's kind of creeped so, out that the main character is a 14 year old girl that's going to like fall for a And vampire. she's like super smart and keeps doing stuff for like the. Brandon, Twilight. I think I'm on like book 14. It's Twilight. Oh my God. No, is but there's Twilight? there's uh, so. I'm seriously like book 13 or 14 right now. And I, I think mean, there's that many. Yeah. I'm reading these titles. We've got Last Breath, Black Dawn, Carpe Corpus. But my favorite one uh, is, is Lord of Misrule. <laughs> oh, Jesus. No, I don't know uh, which number that is. Uh, I'm oh, reading bite, Black Dawn bite, right now. Bite Club. Yes, Bite, Bite Club. Bite oh my Club. God, there's a book called Bite Club? <laughs> yep. Okay, so folks, do yourself a favor and... Um, <laughs> and don't read these ever. <laughs> okay, Google image search the Morganville vampires because you know the pictures that you see on like Hot Topic, like hair dye uh, yeah. you know, boxes? <laughs> if you look at those, just think of like those girls and then just put them on top of a book, put them on a book with Morganville <laughs> vampires, like just on top of that and boom. And with like blue eyeshadow or black eyeshadow and smudge. And they're looking like really, you know, smoky and they got a secret. That, <laughs> and they're, that's and they're 14. Apparently yep. this, this really upsets me, you guys, because back in the nineties and the eighties, these kind of disposable smutty kind of books for teens, I guess. Uh-huh. Vampires uh, are the new, the uh, new kind. Whether yeah. they were Harlequin Romance or Sweet Valley High, they would have beautiful illustrations on the cover. They would be well done artwork. And now, That's true. I mean, of course, this is a product. It's not good art. So naturally, they just want somebody to Photoshop something together real quick, and that's super cheap. That's super easy. You don't need a degree for it. But I mean, what, c- come on! Like, Are you looking at the covers the right now? It's the same fucking. It's like the just, same thing. I just, over and I just over miss. I miss a different the, girl the, with a different hair color. <laughs> guys, hey, guys, it's not about hair. the cover. I mean, it's the same as variants for comics. It's not about the fucking cover. It's about the quality of what's inside, which is still not probably good. I don't know. I don't know. Can, can you can you imagine what goosebumps would be like if the covers oh were just awkward God. Photoshop and not Aren't like they? those illustrations? I mean, maybe in the re-releases, <laughs> but can you can you imagine like if it didn't have those beautiful paintings on it? What those books? I would be only like? remember the one with the worms on the front. You know what my issue is that books that had beautiful covers, and actually one really good example of this is the Garth Nix series. 
They had That's beautiful true. covers when they came out. And it was this illustrator, I think it was a, a husband and wife maybe from I think the 60s or 70s who were famous. And since they've re-released those books, oh, they got rid of the covers. It's shitty Photoshop with just like a symbol on it that's like flaming or some shit. As much as I love the Garth Nick series, I've I, I've actually wanted to buy like a box set of it because I started reading it like well after it came out. So I only have like paperbacks of the original covers. I haven't actually hunkered down and like paid for an actual Just box set of, of it cover. because the shitty fucking covers. I'm going to buy I'm so upset. These are the things the tweens will pick up or something that looks like this. Wow. But, but why? This is great. Why would you re but in like in the, with the Garth Nick series, like why would you re-release the books? With worse illustrations. You know what? I, like, I, I actually... I don't, I don't kinda, understand. I get where you guys are coming from because recently this happened to me. Recently, and I'm just kind of similar to a book, Metal Gear Solid 5 came out. <laughs> didn't have Kojima's name on it, but he released an insert you can print and it says, I'm Kojima and I made this game. And you print it out and put it over the other cover. So I think there maybe is like, for the Garth Nix books, there you could print out the old covers or inserts and put them over it. They're actually kind of hard to find. Oh, well, never mind. The pictures. Like, I've, I've actually tried to find them because I wanted to buy the artwork. It's tricky. There are some copies that I will seek out for, like, older books, like A Wrinkle in Time, the illustrations for the, all of Madeline Langle's books that they had during the early mid-90s were very good. And that book has had a lot of different iterations, but they had particularly great covers during those years. So it's harder to buy them on, say, Amazon. You won't know what old paperback cover you're getting when you buy a used one. So the best way to do it is to just, you know, hunt for that cover set in a used bookstore. Why do they change the cover so much? I don't like the same exact book. Well, it did it's, well. Change the cover. It's branding. It's they got to make it new. I don't know. It's fucking stupid. But, you know, it, it is it is what it is. It's an industry. But I, can I ask a very important question? Go for it. Denica, why are you reading all these That's vampire a very good books? question. Thank okay. you for asking. Like, I understand, like, sometimes, sometimes... We got sidetracked. This is the real sometimes deal Sometimes it's the quality... Real question, now that you've got a lady in the room. It's <laughs> quality over quantity. I don't know. I, I, I don't it, care what you got between your legs. I just care that you're reading shit okay, books. First Tell me off, about it. I care. <laughs> it's stereotypical lady fodder. You have to admit. It, it's geared towards tween girls. Uh -huh. <laughs> Which you fall into that category. Um, yeah, the 34-year-old tween girl. Um. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, I read them because you're tween your twenties and your forties. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. Because they're easy to read. Because I, I, I read. I read to help myself sleep as well. Sometimes I don't want a challenging read or something that I think I'm going to get too invested in mm -hmm. because yeah, I will kind of want to you want to turn your brain off. Right. And I will, as Brandon yeah. mentioned, like stay up till three o'clock in the morning reading if I get too. <laughs> Yeah, but instead of to reading these, to like, what I'm reading. mediocre books, you could be like staring at a wall, which is just <laughs> as good. Yeah. Would that be more like? More, it's just not uh, fair because like I read one no. book, I read one <laughs> book, and everyone, and then like she reads like fifty books, but they're all terrible. That's not fair, Brandon. If you they're read not all terrible, if you if you picked up a really shit book series, like let's say Fear Street, which might be good, I've never honestly never read. it. I would stop if it doesn't grab my attention in the first chapter. I'm done with it. Well, I mean, I I applaud your your dignity. <laughs> I've done which, that with books that you love. <laughs> like after like a few chapters, like done, boring. Well, mm -hmm. I've also read John Scalzi's. Uh, I started reading the Old Man's War series, and a, a nerdy show book club classic. One of our early right. readers. Uh, I also yeah. read Lock In, which was a standalone book by him. It's about people that are locked in. They're locked into their themselves. They actually can't like well, talk or move or do anything, we all? and oh. they're in they're in a coma, like in a coma. But they can still interact with the world through like an internet. 
kind of that would keep me up at night reading that thing wow. and they yeah, have um, that. there's also like robots that they can put their consciousness into oh okay there was um a bruce willis movie like that uh which was also a comic book written by rob venditti called the surrogates Yes, it, oh, was, yeah, it's, it was somewhat similar to that. Um, although I think in the surrogates, wasn't it by choice? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was a whole it, it, This was a case where there was this weird um, disease or virus that hit not an abnormally large part of the population, but enough that these robots got designed and, and were made for these people for like some of the rich people that that happened to and, and enough people that they, they can make an industry out of that, basically. And I also read a couple of Margaret... Atwood books, which I had never read her before. And unfortunately, as I said, I read so much, I have forgotten the names of the ones that I've read. And then another shitty series from Ali Condi called The Matched Trilogy, which I actually started, I quote unquote, read the audiobooks because the voice acting was so bad that it put me to sleep. <laughs> so I actually purposely listened to them while I was trying to sleep. What do you, how do you, having trouble sleeping? <laughs> where do you get all this time? Like to read and listen to uh, all of these the, things. The middle of the night when she should be sleeping. When clearly. I go to bed God. at 1130, I'm up until 130. <laughs> That's still not enough time to read everything you've read, even for two years, two hours. And, no, I must read faster than you. I'm not a super fast reader. It's just it's what I do like almost every day. God. Oh, <laughs> shit. Reading. Shit. You guys familiar with uh, Gregory McDonald at all? A guy who wrote Fletch? Yeah, I am now. <laughs> was, no, I know wait, Fletch. Wait, wasn't that a movie? Yeah. A comedy? It, it, was, it was a movie. I didn't, starring I didn't know Chase. that was a book. <laughs> it's the book based on the movie. No. <laughs> no, uh, Fletch, Fletch was a, a late 70s comedy mystery novel written by Gregory McDonald and is in fact a whole series of books. I've forgotten off the top of my head how many there are, but uh, back from middle school through early high school, I went to every used bookstore I could find and got them all and read them all, and they're great. Gregory McDonald is actually one of the finest American literature comedy writers, I think probably the later 20th century. In fact, uh, Kevin Smith attributes Gregory McDonald to him kind of learning to love writing comedy. Honestly, I don't see the comparison between the, their two works at all. I'll have to write like this insult. name down because when you say comedy and then McDonald, all I unfortunately think about is Norm McDonald, which is not something <laughs> which, I which is the think first about. thing that comes to my mind when I think of comedy. <laughs> Norm, Norm ain't so bad. Come on, uh, but the Fletch novels are really great. But one thing I never dipped into was that he has another character that he devoted a few books to that was actually in the same universe as Fletch, a character named Flynn. That's where the term in like Flynn came from. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's definitely from from this. 100% from this, yes. <laughs> if Flynn first showed up in a Fletch book called Confess Fletch, which honestly I don't remember anything about. So it's, it's been many years coming, but I picked one up. There's Flynn, the first book, which I have here, and then Flynn's in Flynn's Fortune. And I think that's it. And it was a, it was a fun read. The cover features of the edition I have features an exploding airplane, and I was actually reading it when I was traveling a lot. So it was great. Uh, it's a great airport read. Of, <laughs> Wait, about... is it, is it, does the airplane actually like explode? Oh, yeah, no. It opens with an airplane detonating over Boston and like body parts being found in neighborhoods. As, as <laughs> you're a on a plane. <laughs> All right. um, this I, is back when plane crashes were still humor. Uh, this this is this is back when like when it was fucking easy to get into an airplane. You won't fucking believe how easy it was. <laughs> <laughs> Just stand on the runway and climb the ladder into it. It's a cool, funky mystery story, and Flynn is an interesting main character. He's an Irishman who's operating as a special detective unit in uh, uh well an inspector specifically he's been he's been given the title inspector as some kind of a, a special thing that's going on what's weird about this is i don't because i didn't read confess fletch i honestly feel like i'm in the dark as to a lot of things like why is the police force really annoyed by all the special permissions he's getting what is this secret organization that he appears to be a part of did 
I ever know the answers to these questions? Like if you asked me back in middle school about this, would I have remembered? Probably. Or, yeah. or are these unanswered questions that were meant to be in the next book? Like why does it rely so heavily on outside content and an ongoing narrative, which was actually kind of jarring because it really should be a jumping on point for the character, whether you've read his appearance in Fletch or not. But um, I guess you'll have to go back and read all the Fletch novels. I, I'm probably going to jump in and read Confess Fletch and see if it helps me catch up. It's a good time. I love mystery novels, I guess, but like I, I say that, but that's a whole genre that honestly I don't have any connection to. I, I love Gregory McDonald's mystery novels. I love John D. McDonald's. I only love mystery novels written by McDonald's, uh, McDonald's basically. <laughs> Old McDonald. Uh, Old McDonald had a great series of mystery novels. He's a really um, good farm. E-I-E-I-O is my favorite book of his. I would be hesitant to recommend Flynn just outright, but definitely get into Fletch. And if you do, then you may find the Flynn books to be a fun sidebar to go off on. I enjoyed reading it, but I was actually a little confused by some, I feel like, key character and plot moments that just were flat out omitted from this book. So I thought that was an, an odd feature or lack of a feature. Are there dragons in it? Uh, no dragons. Very, very grounded in reality. Funny, though. It's, I mean, sometimes Flynn is like, oh, it's Fletch with, a, uh, with an Irish accent because he's, he's, he's sardonic. He's funny. He treats people like garbage sometimes for comedy purposes. And he drinks a whole bunch of Guinness. That was, a, I, I don't know what that was. an Australian accent. He drinks a whole bunch of Guinness. Ew. I don't know what that is. He <laughs> drinks a whole bunch of Guinness. There you go, there's your Irish. That's my Irish accent. <laughs> Guinness and potatoes. <laughs> Lucky Charms leprechauns. I also read a nonfiction book. It's called Growing Up in the Orgone Box, Secrets of a Reikian Childhood. Are any of you guys familiar with Wilhelm Rake or Orgone Energy? Oh, totally. Yeah. No, I went. Yeah, I studied that in school. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure you did. Yeah, mm -hmm. but, Colin, do you, do you, you, we've talked about this stuff. You remember this stuff at all? Well, I mean, like, I, are you talking about Reiki? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> you fool. No, and I know. I've never. I, I don't remember us talking about Orgone Energy. What, what was the name of that guy in the uh, painting in Ghostbusters Two? Uh, that was that was Vigo. It was Vigo. <laughs> it was Vigo. I don't know. Well, Vigo the Carpathian. This, like. is, this is an interesting oh. bit of speculative science kind of stuff. It's 20th century weirdness. You might remember how Thomas Edison wanted to talk to his dead mother and had his own kind of spatial energy that he was investigating. This oh. is something we've, we've discussed in a lot of episodes with Brian Clevenger on the show because he loves the weirdness that is that kind of period of metaphysical science and so on and shows up in Atomic Robo from time to time. Edison had his own kind of energy. Wilhelm Rake had a more successful, in some ways, theory on the energy of the universe, which he called Orgone. And he was sort of a, almost, he's become a mad scientist figure in the 20th century, in some ways. And his platform was about mental wellness, to some degrees, and also kind of abstract other stuff, like weather control. The first time I ever heard about him was uh, Kate Bush does a song called Cloud Bursting that was based on a book written by Willem Rake's son that she read because Rake was actually disappeared by the federal government. They like uh, they put they put one of those bags over his head and said, you're coming with us and boop. Yeah, you disappeared as a verb. That's yes. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's, what they, that's what they call it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't come up you... with that. That's not mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Willem Rake was was abducted and they were like, your weird science is turning on too many of our people. We got to shush you up. So you're out of here. And it, yeah. it adds to his kind of like the mystique of Willem Rake. But this energy, this orgone energy, which Debo's energy domes are said to channel. Well, that explains it. it. Is, is that that gas that they put between window panes? That's argon. <laughs> <laughs> and you would know that if you read the second book of Organ Box called Organ Trail. <laughs> <laughs> 
they actually had these things called organ boxes, which is like a, this aluminum chamber you sit inside and, and it allegedly it collects your orgone energy and like makes you so you're not sad and you're not pent up and, and so, everything. So is this like about that experiment or about the person's life or about that energy? This is, like, a, this is about the ramifications of that person's teachings and a random kid whose parents got caught up in it and took him to a dude who was practicing Wilhelm Rake's teachings and bending it to his own will. It's an autobio about abuse at the hands of a practicing uh, Reikian psychologist and the other weird stuff that happened in this kid's life. Is it L. Ron Hubbard? Is, is who, <laughs> oh, wait, is, is was who the kid L. Ron no, Hubbard? No, no, the, the kid. And the, he grew up to be L. Ron You know, they Hubbard. put you in a box and the, you, they take away your, your energies, the negative energies, and then you feel all good and, and fuck psychiatry. It's called Dianetics. It is very possible that Dianetics was based on Willem Diuretics. It's, it's entirely possible. Yeah, he's got a cool, I mean, like I, I was just browsing the internet here. He's got a cool quote. I, I, I'm well aware of the fact that the human race has known about the existence of a universal energy related to life for many ages. However, the basic task of natural science consisted in making this energy usable. This is the sole difference between my work and all preceding knowledge. Isn't it just calories he's talking about? It's usable energy. It's usable energy. Yeah, That's right? how we, we we have eaten something. It is calories. It is now my energy. I have consumed yeah. it. Oh, you can get like a uh, pendants, like orgone <laughs> pendants. Oh god, do they look cool? We should all <laughs> yeah. wear them. We should all you wear them, them randomly. Etsy. They got like uh, they're purple and sparkly and the <laughs> EMS blockers and well, well, well <laughs> they're covered in tinfoil. Yeah, man, it comes with a free tinfoil hat. <laughs> Organ Box is written by uh, Malcolm J. Brenner, and it's actually it's a really well written book that could have used some editing. But you, you're in reading it, I was like, wow, he's he does have Can't he, does, he does have a good voice. If only there was someone else directing how this is structured. It's almost a chronological narrative of his life, but then it also jumps around slightly enough to make it confusing. But like I said, he suffered at the hands of a guy who was practicing Rake's teachings and doing it wrongly. I mean, he was like actually like not only physically abused, but molested by a dude and had these memories repressed and then later got the memories back. And it's this whole thing. He oh, had shit. he had an abusive mother who he makes it into this like kind of a, a monster. And well, abusive moms are monsters. It, but it also has a, it, it's a book with a weird sense of humor. Like it's it's interesting. It's interesting looking at the mid 20th century through the eyes of someone who has parents practicing kind of a science religion, like outside the norm and how that alienates you from other people. It's kind of a very atheist practice, at least the way his parents were doing it. So it put them on the outs with religious people. Like the religious people were the norm and and the Reikians were the weird ones. And growing up with that and growing up with this very unusual background. But because the book is about things that happened to him that weren't necessarily good, unfortunately, his victimhood takes precedent in a lot of ways. And in spite of the real abuse he suffered, sometimes it becomes hard to tell when he was actually hurt and when he's just whining. For example, there's a chapter that's very humorously titled, I, I love the title, is The Science Fair That Wasn't. Oh, oh shit, I get it. Oh, I was like, wait, what? I've been to a science fair, they're not really, oh, I get it. <laughs> it's like he's, there, there's some things that are just like really childish and it's like you're an adult, you're still, I understand it's important to mention this, this affected you then, but like the, the tone, you're still, I can't relate to you anymore, you're being a baby, you're an adult baby, stop it. Yeah. Um, Whiny man, baby. There's some things that were really affecting here, but it just it needed editing. It needed editing. It needed restructuring. It needed uh, little tonal shifts here and there. But I would highly recommend it for anybody looking for a very unusual. It sounds unusual. Nonfiction, uh, a slice of of America that's just not normally seen. 
And yeah, he and, was he was uh, yeah. he he died in 1957 in the federal penitentiary in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. This is Rake. Malcolm J. Brenner is very much alive. <laughs> no, I'm talking about yeah, I'm talking about Rake. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. He's for criminal contempt. The, con- the contempt charge was because he refused to obey an injunction against selling quack medical devices such as the orgone accumulator and orgone shooters devices, which allegedly could collect and distribute orgone energy thereby making it possible to cure just about any medical disorder. Wait, so there was a Reiki joke already thrown in here. Are we talking about the person who... This has no. nothing to do with well, Reiki. No. Really? Because it sounds is, like is, the same fucking thing. <laughs> no, Reiki is an Asian uh, energy... That makes sense with the spelling, but... Look, it's all yeah. energy. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's it sounds energy. like the, sta- the same shtick. Yeah. In a box. It's yeah, a apparently the FDA like burned some of his books. The FDA never does anything wrong, Colin. Well, we'll link to it on this episode's page. Check out the, the music video for Cloudbursting, the Kate Bush song. Like, it deals with his abduction and everything. Yeah. And it's like... This it's, dude's... It's interesting. It's an interesting read, this dude. Uh, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of fascinating books written on Rake himself. And then this is a, this book is an interesting counterpoint because Brenner, in, in some ways, like has come to terms with with his Reiki and upbringing, but in the other other ways despises it because his parents invested themselves in it as blindly as someone could invest themselves in a religion. And that blinded them to the fact that he was being sexually abused because their doctrine didn't make them believe that anybody who was practicing Rake's teachings could be a horrible person. So and so it's it's got all that stuff there and like a really terrifying first person account of being molested. Like it's awful. Like this guy I should make it into a movie. I've never (laughs) I've never read something as dark as this guy with his disgusting teeth and everything like assaulting this kid. It's pretty intense. But then it's also kind of a funny book. Read the kite runner cap. Read the kite runner. Right. We okay. Uh, sure thing. That's that, that's what I'm looking for. I really want to recreate this experience as often as possible. <laughs> <laughs> in spite of how dark the book can get, Brenner's also really funny, and he has an interest in sci-fi that's reoccurring in the book. In fact, his next book is an outright sci-fi after having done two nonfiction books. He is very well known for his first book, which was called Wet Goddess: Tales of a Dolphin Lover, <laughs> which was about his <laughs> adult relationship with a female dolphin. Read it twice. This is like a biography. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. Danica, it, I don't know if you know this, but the inside of a female dolphin's vagina, you might know this, Cap. Uh-huh. There's many. It's not just like a hole you put your dick in. Not that I would. There's many muscles that like undulate and gyrate and move like it's massaging your dick. And then mm-hmm. the male Pre- basically. Completely prehensile. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it moves. It can like wrap around you. It's like a giant white tongue. And when it blows its load, I've heard, I've heard. It's like a shotgun and can totally damage your organs, like just kill you outright, like instantly. Sometimes they will wrap it around your leg while you're swimming if they like. You know, to. I've heard that too, and I've always wondered, like, that sounds unbelievable. That part, the rest, I, I know everything else. But well, we is should true, but email sound- the MythBusters. <laughs> yeah, well, let's ask old, ask Walrus Man. Like, tell us about the, the dolphin. Tell us penis. about the dolphin penis. Um, it just sounds to me like the the female dolphin got the short end of the stick in this relationship. Then, oh, she gets the big end of the dick. Well, mm, I mean, but she, I mean, well, comparing hold, uh, a, a man's poultry penis to a, a male dolphins she's well, she's built yeah. to handle it hypothetically I, th- I believe she is i mean they're, they're, one would assume so built built to handle a shotgun blast if such a shotgun blast exists and then also her equipment is just as flexible as his equipment so hypothetically, it's made out of like space age material in there it's not going to tear or rip it can survive harsh environments no but i'm saying like what does a human male have to offer that sweet dolphin vagina oh oh i see oh, what you're saying you mean like why, I, like, yeah. like, why would a female like, why would a female dolphin even emo- go with that emotional what? connection they're very smart animals. they're up for new 
things. They want to know what you are, and they think all four of your limbs are penises. And in some ways, they're, right. they're not wrong. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I can, you can shove an arm in there. You might not get it back. I heard there's incredible suction and pull. You might not get it back. There's, um, I, I, wanna, I do want to point out before You're we... You're listening to Dolphin Talk on Nerdy Show. <laughs> I, well, I should, I should promote a certain episode of, um, of Friday Night Fan Fiction where they did read a dolphin lovemaking tutorial, <laughs> uh, an, an, an internet classic that I remember reading in high school. Oh, Actually, it's no. been around so long. <laughs> it's from a, a now defunct dolphin sex website, or at least an, an instructional. There were no, there were no images that I recall, defunct. but you know, it, it's, a, it's a classic, an internet classic. We'll link to it. So growing up in the Oregon box, uh, it's a really interesting book. If you're comfortable with very frank descriptions, Brenner is not holding anything back. He's very matter of fact with it, which I actually found really refreshing. Like he's just he's open about it. Like he's had sex with animals. He's going to tell you about these bizarre early experiences and he's had a very unusual life. So just be ready for that. But it's interesting. Like it's a unique voice. And he is, in spite of my saying he needs an editor, he is a very good writer. He puts thoughts together in an interesting way and keeps it lighthearted from time to time. For example, another amusing chapter title, chapter 23. How Walt Disney made me a zoophile. Whoa! And it's <laughs> again, it, it's 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 needlessly placing blame on others. Yeah, I you find you find the most interesting books. I gotta tell you, thanks. Yeah, how did you, you even find, you find the weirdest shit? I've had this book on my shelf so long. I don't know. I I I did get it from Indiegogo. Like I found out when he was making it, and I was like, ooh, Reiki and stuff. I I would like to learn more about this. Oh, and you had a tragic upbringing. This is a side that's not represented often. So I don't, I don't remember where I found it originally, honestly, but well, here we are. Um, <laughs> so it, it was, it was, it was the shaggy dog, by the way, if you were curious, that was his first, uh, furry TF boner. So, uh, and the shaggy you know, dog, the shaggy oh. dog, it's, it's not what I would have picked, but you know, I, I what, don't know. What is sexual about really? that Really, The shaggy and, dog? And, and, well, it, it, are you, are you not familiar with, you certainly, you must've heard about, you know, there's the transformation fetish is a, is a thing. That, oh, uh, is there? A tr I just remember a dog covered in mops. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> that's what it's, it looks it's, like. It's, it's Why not, would you? It's not great. It's not compelling. But when you're a young person uh, with primitive special effects, I can only imagine that uh, it's good enough. <laughs> so there's a, a fetish just for things transforming. This surprises you. Well, there's a fetish for everything. I'm not surprised. I just haven't heard of there's it. There's a and fetish I, and for re reading crappy like vampire novels in the mid of night <laughs> for no for no Look, reason, not for its writing. I did not say I was masturbating while reading these Whoa. books. Whoa. She didn't I'm say not. she wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. Uh -uh. Uh -huh. That's what Harlequin romance novels. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, I just. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> or the uh, was it Bust Magazine has the one-handed reads in the the back of every issue. That's a clever title. What? That's amazing. Good that's a thing. Good job. One-handed read. Yeah. I like that. That's that's really that's really yeah. smart. It's a, it's a women's magazine, and they have a it's a usually a short oh, it's story. For, it's for women. Yeah, it's a feminist magazine. Oh, you know, I think it's in Bitch. That's the feminist magazine. Bitch. Sorry, not Bust. They're, they're okay. both. One's more feminist than the other. <laughs> <laughs> da -da -dun. Uh, moving on. Hey, Colin, what you've been reading? Well, nothing interesting I mean, after that, asshole. Yeah, no <laughs> shit. Lost. I mean, like, besides, uh, I mean, besides Ocean at the End of the Lane, uh, I have been reading Northlanders. But uh, that's the, not the, necessarily. The Brian Wood comic book, Northlanders? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, a good choice. It's a great book. Yeah. I'm, I'm liking it so far. The one about the plague. That one's great. Um, <laughs> anyway, the actual book that I am reading or I read was uh, The Wizard of Earthsea. Have any of you guys read this book by <laughs> Ursula K. Le Guin? I have read it, but it was like a decade ago. All I know is Studio uh, Ghibli. Maybe two Ghibli decades. made a movie about one of them. Yeah. One and a half decades ago. No, but I never got into them because I never read them. But Studio Ghibli made it? No. I think it's called Earthsea. 
There is a movie called no. Earthsea, yeah. Yes, there, but it yes, is they did. nothing to do with Ursula K. Le Guin's. Are you sure? Yeah, I, I think you, it's based off of you that. You sure about actually. that? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Let's look it up. All Tales from Earthsea. Based on a novel. Yes, <laughs> Ursula K. Le Guin's Earthsea series. That's right, bitch. Oh, really? it, it, the film is based on a combination of plots and characters from the first four books. And now you know. Wow. This one came well, in under the radar. If it had a theater release in America, this is 2006, it was super limited. It was. Oh, well, it was directed by his, uh, Miyazaki's son. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I can't believe right. I haven't seen this. Honestly, I would probably enjoy the movie better than I enjoyed this book, even though I haven't even... <laughs> what was, what was wrong with seen. the book, Colin? Okay, so let me describe to you this book. All right, so first of all, it's one of those fantasy novels that when you think of like a high fantasy book and you groan, it's, it's, it's that kind of a book. What do you mean? Like something like generic or that you, that's been done a million times? Like, Give me an example because you know I don't read, Colin. Like, okay, so... When you're reading a fantasy book and the main character is being taken somewhere and offhandedly when they are on this journey, it mentions the 50 some odd common places and towns and provinces, etc. that have no relevance to what the character is doing or going to see. It's that kind of a story. They're like, here's 40 but pages of world building. He that passed relate. Gwiffindel, home of the Chardonnays. Who, yes. who so, traded with the Birkendurks and, yeah. and walked <laughs> yeah, along the, the, sum, yes. the Somerset River hundreds of years prior in the Great War of Four Swords. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Just like that. You got okay, it. You, got, you can't blame them for, that's for ripping off Tolkien. Tolkien ruined it for everyone with his no, super no, descriptions on everything no. you didn't care you knew. Which he got the from thing, the Bible. No, dude. Here's the thing. <laughs> Rivendell the thing. is in the Bible. It, yeah. See, the thing about Tolkien is that, like, he's successful in that regard and that, like, every instance and encounter that the characters, like, have lead to something or matter in some way. If they meet the Rohirrim at some point, they end up seeing them later on in the book. Like, th there's, there's a purpose. And maybe there are purposes to these places. However, there are so fucking many and so offhandedly mentioned of just random consonants and vowels just like drunkenly typed together. Um, <laughs> like it's just, it seems so love, impossible to be that. able to have all these things matter. That's such a good description. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's totally what it is. Oh, well, how many, how many books are there? I think there's four maybe. Yeah. They're not covering all those places. No. So the thing about this book too, is it okay? So there's six, it's a story about, wow, there's six books? Jesus. Yeah. It's very popular. I mean, like, a lot of people love this book, and the, people are probably going to be like, ah, I hate you, Colin. It's just um, like Wheel of Time all over again, Colin. It's to it totally <laughs> is. Like, I'm, I'm like, all of these, like, high fantasy books. Like, and I fucking love Tolkien. He's, like, one of my favorite writers. And, um, all right. like, all these other high fantasy books that I read, like, I just absolutely hate. But it, the story about Wizard of Earthsea in the first book, it's about this character named Jed or Sparrowhawk who in the very first fucking page is essentially like, this is the story of Jed, the greatest wizard that ever lives. There are stories and adventures that he hasn't gone on yet. And those are for another time. Um, <laughs> but this is the story of his beginning. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. Like he was a dragon rider and this, that, and the other. And, but this is the story of how he started. He queefed the sweetest song I ever heard. He woke out of bed. <laughs> he woke out of bed. Level one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> wooden, totally. wooden sword in hand he left his mother's house to fight the slimes invading the kingdom honestly Brandon the beginning right that's, 
that's basically the. St- I mean, it's like, like every truly, video game, right there. Yeah, I mean, like it's totally that. I mean, it's essentially at its core, it's a chase novel, <laughs> like Fast the and first- Furious. That's well, neat. like the yeah. that's a neat thing. That's a neat dynamic. <laughs> yeah. Chase yeah. novel. With I mean, wizards. the first the first quarter to a third is really great. Like the world building is really cool. Like Jed is going to school to learn magic. Like he pisses off a master and. But it's also like described that he's got this like power that no one has ever seen before, and he's like one of the most powerful wizards. They yada yada, you know that kind of a thing. The cool thing about it about the magic system is that it is it uses um, a d twenty. Yeah. <laughs> It's all about like naming and knowing things and knowing the name of things. And and if you know the names, the proper names and the true names of things, you can control them for a certain amount of time. Hey, man, Garth Nix did that. What? I said Garth Nix did that. Well, lots of people have done that with magic. That's that's a thing. No. Yeah. Okay. In fact, it's a thing in Ocean at the End of the Lane in some respects. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. That's a thing in mythology uh, in general. And pagan myth and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. But eventually, Jed goes too far, and he's too prideful with his power, and is goaded into going too far, and he summons a shadow, this thing, this wraith that like comes out of the, the darkness, that comes from death, the other side, and destroys him, and like claws up his face, and so he's like all mangled and fucked. Then like the rest <laughs> of the story, he was suddenly like a good night. he was mangled yeah. and fucked all at once. <laughs> he and it's like he is so like two-thirds of the book so that's like the first third of the book and then two-thirds of the book are him being chased by the shadow and then confronting the shadow i guess kind of interestingly like where like the shadow like almost fucks him again and but doesn't would be a great like, scene <laughs> like he was held down by the shadow <laughs> The shadow knows. It was shadow shadow knows. penetrating darkness. <laughs> Are we talking and about Game he, of Thrones again? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, once again. Hey, what what other famous books can you think of where there's just like some sort of unlikely hero and then some sort of shadow creatures chasing yeah, him the I, whole way? I can't think I of one. Yeah. Well, eventually he figures out that like he will eventually be destroyed because if the shadow like engulfs him and takes over him, then it could destroy the world, the power that he has. Well, with great power comes great responsibility. Sin, sin is his dad, the yep. alcoholic. Oh, yeah. He still loves him, though, but what an alcoholic bastard. That's right. You got to kill right. him. You got to get rid of him, though. You got you to take so him down. He decides, Jed decides to chase now the shadow. And so it's another like 70 pages of him chasing the shadow and randomly stopping in. <laughs> wait, wait, why, like, why is the shadow, is the shadow running from him? Like, why isn't he just, I mean, the shadow's looking for him, right? Why isn't he just yeah, like standing well, there going, eventually, hey. once, once the shadow realizes that he's, that he is now chasing him, the shadow now starts to run from him. Wait, yeah. why? Oh, because and, he's like, like, he's not scared of him anymore. And that kind of like right. turns the demon off. Like, well, I don't really want to mess with you now that you're, you're yeah, all. Yeah, up. yeah, I'm all, yeah. You exactly, got your level yeah, two metal helmet and katana now. I don't want to mess yep, with you. Basically, yeah. And so he's now chasing him. And for 75 pages, we're like stopping at random fishing villages and that have no purpose. Nothing fucking happens for 70 pages. There's 75 fucking pages of rising action that is just like a flat line. And then the conclusion, the final fucking confrontation that it's they've been dad. leading up to this entire fucking time <laughs> is five fucking pages long. I counted them. 
They're only five pages of, of it's it's five pages. Didn't they do that at the end of Twilight of, where of it was climax, all a dream? And then it's over. It's just like and then and then it's like, oh, read my other books. You know what I mean? Oh, there's others because it's like, oh, the other stories, you know, or there's more stories to tell of Jed and his shit that he does. And it's just like, fuck you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> when you know, did he when did just, he learn fire three? Uh, in the next <laughs> That's book, a story for another time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. There's also a sci-fi channel series that was of the book or books. And I mean, it's it's fine. It's it's a fine book. But <laughs> you just you just said like a third of the book is shite. It's not a fine book in any like concept of what a fine book is at all. Well, I mean, like it's, you could it's, rip a third out of the book and throw it in the trash. Well, and you, know you could what? still it's, it'd be better for it. Honestly, yes, because like, <laughs> but, but, tr- but truly, like the thing about this is that it's also like, I oh, fuck. When was this book written? Let me look here. As soon the as Harry 60s, Potter, came I think. Out. Yeah, you're just too much of a millennial to understand it, Colin. <laughs> honestly, like that was that was what Ni- I was gonna. Uh, 1968, Colin. Yeah. Okay. So this book was written in 1968. I honestly, like, I think that a lot of things came from this book. Like one of the things that people, people love this book and the fact that, you know, it's written in 1968. Like, I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that it was a forerunner in what we are now considering old hat with fantasy, you know? So I think that it's, uh, yes. Uh, Margaret Atwood once called it one of the wellsprings of fantasy literature. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, I mean, like, it's, it's got its place. And I mean, if you read it before you read any other fantasy book, you and, might be like, this and, is amazing. And in fact, people credit Earthsea with the introduction of the idea of a wizard school. Mm, there you go. They don't say, do they introduce the idea of a character that's in many books that actually doesn't do anything? <laughs> they may have. Because, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know what Jed or whatever the hell his name is does, but a certain well, other his, young wizard that's his, named that's his Ari, true name. Sparrowhawk. That's his. Well, other if my name was Jed, I'd change my fucking name to something bird related too. <laughs> <laughs> Raptor yeah, claws. That says it right there. I mean, like the wizard school, like that. It's, it's a that part of that book is really cool. I mean, like where he's learning, and because essentially, like he's learning about it as as we're learning about it, and it's a really that part of the book is fantastic. And then they're like, "Oh, you did this thing, and now there's a shade after you. Get the fuck out." You're like, God damn, I could spend 200 pages fixing this mistake I made on a whim by accident. Honestly, Brandon, you have just described the book. <laughs> it's like everything's going well. I just used a spell I shouldn't have. Let me go fix it. Done. Yeah. Book's done. Yep. I fixed it. Done. And on I that well, day, we can blow Gimbalshank's new regret. Yeah, it's I don't know how to fix it, and then let's fix it. Does is anyone like classically train this guy, or is he just like I'm just figuring out the magic of the universe because I'm special? Oh yeah, no, totally. Yeah, there's a there's like there's the wandering wizard that like is silent, you know, that he is, is like a kind of like a monk hmm. that he meets up with at first, and then like he doesn't like him, so he's like I'm gonna go to school. Fuck you, I'm going to prep school. So he goes over to the wizard school and learns. Learn shit at the wizard school and then fuck shit up there and then eventually it's <laughs> up back. He learns shit bump. and fuck shit up. Oh, yeah, man. That's, that's what that's it says the on that. That's what it says on the back cover. <laughs> yep. yep. Travel with this wizard as he learns shit, fuck shit and up. Fuck shit up. Yep. Wizard of Mercy by Ursula K. Le Guin. <laughs> I would read if I saw that on a shelf, I'd be like, holy shit, you've caught my attention. But I don't care how, how much it is done. <laughs> yeah. But I, I truly think that this is a book of the time. And that ship has sailed off into the dawn, never Indeed. to be heard from Well, I mean, again. we don't know when the other ones are written, so, I mean, if it was years as, and years as later. As recently as 2001, actually. So that one might be pretty good. Huh. 
or really bad. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no. She, it, what happened was, because uh, it was, the uh, second book was written in 1971. The third book was written in 1972. And so she was making all that money. And then she started to run out of money. So she wrote another book in 1990. And then she, was make, she made some more money. And then she ran out again. So she wrote uh, two more books in 2001. <laughs> Huh. When did um... that, that may be an unfair approximation? I just want to point out that that, that may that may really not say nice things about the, uh, the the very at this point quite elderly eighty five year old woman. Yes, <laughs> who is well established in the in the fantasy science fiction world. And wait, L- Lord of the Rings came out in nearish this in the God damn it, I don't know. Never mind. I thought it was. I thought I honestly thought Lord of the Rings came out somewhere in the sixties as well. Fifty-four. Yeah, nineteen fifty-four. Yeah, that's the same general area. I was thinking. I mean, it was a full ten years beforehand. And they probably went to school together. <laughs> yeah, they probably at the wizard fought, school. Right? Yes, they they oh, went to the wizard school together. Think, yeah, she was his Malfoy. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would you guys like to join me in a reading of of some goof lumps? Like, how do you pronounce the title? Because it's one word. Is it goof lumps or goo? flumps because <laughs> i was like because it could well, be now, either now now it's goof lumps because <laughs> yeah, it's one I word like it could be it could be either because there's no e at the end of the f it's not goof lumps it Jesus. is goo flumps <laughs> there's no e in there it's goo flumps it's disgusting i was like hey girl sit back and enjoy these goo flumps i want to pump your goo flumps right now god or like oh hold on i got something in my throat i'm coughing it up it's a goo flump it's just gross now we read the other companion book to this uh parody of goosebumps in the last episode we did which was uh, from the book eat cheese and barf and this is stay out of the bathroom we figured we'd complete our goo flump cycle here in celebration of those generally pretty awful books that made up some of my formative years now cap you we're looking to find a section of this book to read. And then you realized that you had already read it. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But at this point, I read this after our previous recording two years ago. But then, yes, this book is so bad and so generic that I did read it and open this book today to look for an excerpt to read. Realized it was already earmarked and then remembered, oh, my God, I did read this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> On the, what does that say on the cover? Buy two copies? Buy two. That's it, right? Because there's a uh, hey, was which I think is a great remark. Uh, it's, there's there's only two Goofflumps books. There's only ever been two. Oh, it Goof says Lumps buy books. two. That's, that's it. it. Yeah. Oh, okay. D- don't buy a million Goosebumps books. You just need to buy two Goofflumps. Buy books. R.U. Slime. I get it. Yeah. Okay. This spoof is just a goof, <laughs> so don't worry. Warning: It says not a Goosebumps book. Why? Do you actually spend money on this? No, Nerdy Show spent money on this. <laughs> But it was dirt cheap. This is your hard-earned nerdy show money. It was like, it was like, it was like, are you you not entertained? (laughs) Uh, Well, we're about to find out in a minute when you read some of that. This is from, from Goofflumps by Are You Slime? Stay out of the bathroom. It's an early cut. I'm going to be doing the the general uh, narrator stuff. It's in first person, but uh, you'll find that the narrator's thinking voice is very different from his speaking voice. Maybe I'll practice on you. I snarled at him. Roger puffed his chest out and crossed his arms. Yeah, just try it. He warned me. We stared at each other, making our meanest faces. We circled around. I shot my hand out. Thumb wrestle! Roger locked fingers with me. To the death. He growled through his teeth. Arr. I agreed, nodding my head. We counted down together. Three, Three two, two, one. one. But just before we started, there was a sick, horrible wailing sound. 
Somebody shrieked. Roger looked at me. Did you hear that? He asked. It sounded like an alien. Yeah, I think it was my sister. You got offended me. <laughs> I, t- I told him, my sister, the neat freak monster. Somebody please come and save me. She shrieked again and again. It was my sister. And the screams were coming from the upstairs bathroom. Look out, Roger. I'm going in. I yelled, dashing up the stairs. I kicked open the door. Cynthia was leaning back against the sink, spraying the toilet with Darling Debbie disinfectant spray. Whoa! Roger gasped, looking around at the bathroom. It was a mess. There was water all over the floors and wet toilet paper balls clinging to the walls. Looks good, huh? I asked him. You're such a little monster! Cynthia yelled at me. I can't believe you left the bathroom like this! I I didn't even put the seat down! She raged. She aimed the disinfectant at me and sprayed. I dodged out of the way. (laughs) Hey, you could blind somebody with that! I told her. Not that she needs that spray stuff to blind anybody. I whispered to Roger. Ah, oh, come on, Joe. He whispered back. He, w- he won't ever admit it, but he kind of has a crush on Cynthia. <laughs> Him being attracted to my little sister is scarier than a messy bathroom any day. Actually, it's even scarier than the smell of Darling Debbie disinfectant spray. And that's bad. I, I can't believe you, Joe. How could you make this mess and not clean it up? She demanded to know. How many times has Mom told you to put the seat down? Well, sis, the way I see it, <laughs> why should I put the seat family. down <laughs> for you when you are even considered putting it back up for me? I mean, isn't that what equal rights are all about? I turned to Roger. Same old story. (laughs) They want to be treated the same as guys and you still have to hold the door open for them. Like you've ever held the door open for anybody. Roger commented. Remember that time you slammed it on Jackie Jones? I laughed. (laughs) Jackie Jones. That was awesome, wasn't it? Jackie hadn't spoken to me since, which is the best thing of all. This is horrible. Cynthia's hands were balled up into fists. Her perfectly painted darling Debbie darling dewberry fingernails dug into her palms. Her eyes were practically popping out of her head. I hate you, Joe. Why don't you die? Die! Die! Don't let Cynthia fool you. We're really close. Yeah, (laughs) right. I have to get ready for cheerleader practice, and this place is a disaster area! She screeched. Why don't you use the other bathroom? I suggested. Uh, You know very well why I don't use it! She screamed. Why? Because it's in the basement? I asked. No! And the basement is a scary place? No. And you're scared to go down there without somebody holding your itsy-bitsy hand. That was too much for her. And 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, bad when I tell mom and dad about this. She stormed out of the bathroom. Oh, man, Joe, that was great. You really let her have it. Crush or no crush, Roger appreciated the work of a master. He started applauding my performance. Hooray, huzzah. I jumped up on the toilet and took a big bow. You was nothing. No, really. Any genius could have bugged Cynthia that bad. I said. Did you really mess up the bathroom just to peeve her? He asked me. Mostly. I told him. And also because I just like messing things up. Especially in here. Roger noted. It's a pretty ugly bathroom. He agreed. Looking around the bathroom in all its puke pink and grotty green. It almost looks better trashed. Yeah, but I put the finishing touches on it, Raj. And you want to know why? I asked. I cut my hands over my mouth and started swaying back and forth, making rap noises. Roger grinned. No, why's that, homie? Well, I'll tell you, I said, homie. And then I started rapping. I'm the bathroom master. I'm a real bold blaster. Don't mess with me, because I can mix it up faster. With just one flush, I can make a toilet gush. When my sister cleans it up, I'm standing in mush. I was dancing around wildly. Then suddenly, the whole toilet lurched over onto its side. Crack! I slid across the floor and crashed into the tub. Dude! I cried. What happened? The damage was even worse than I thought. Not only was the toilet abandoned, (laughs) but the bowl was cracked. Water started flowing out of the broken toilet bowl, spreading all over the floor. Flood! Emergency! You have a serious plumbing problem, Joe. Roger announced. What a genius. I told you he was smart. Plus, his father's a plumber, so Roger thinks he's an expert. Water splashed up over my legs. I was getting soaked. Do something. I told Roger as I hold myself up. Fast. Roger bent over and look at the toilet, the toilet, toilet. Even though he doesn't, he, he doesn't act like a know-it-all. It's it's pretty cool that he, he knows about the toilets and, and pipes and junk. Looks like he cracked the toilet bowl. Roger said. Duh. I said. 
<laughs> and this uh, concludes uh, our reading of uh, goof lumps. Stay, stay out of the bathroom. And then I took a shit on the floor. <laughs> Swifty. From my left, I got Swifty. Pull your pants down, calling shit on the floor. Calling you my friend, shit on the floor. Shit on reason. the floor, Colin. <laughs> Colin's gonna take off his pants tonight. Shit on the floor in his mama's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Never doing that for voice some, again. <laughs> for some reason, the voice that I was doing made my left eye like water, like crazy. <laughs> I don't know why. Like it was just what was the streaming voice? I, down. I can't. I couldn't follow anything we were doing. What was the voice again that you just did? Uh, God, just say a word, um, man. Just say a word. Uh. Oh, I remember now. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do it I anymore. I think it's because you're actually crying. <laughs> I might have been. That's what it sounded like. All right, all right, all right. So now is a moment you've all been waiting for. We're going to have a spoiler-free discussion of Ocean at the End of Lane, and then we're going to dive into uh, the spoilery stuff uh, on the other end. We'll clearly denote that time. If you're going to be heading out after the spoiler-free discussion, thank you for listening to Nerdy Show Book Club. Thank you for being here. That was awesome. You took the chance. You took the chance on Nerdy Show Book Club. Hey, you know what? If you liked it, you could support the show. Just going to put that out there. You can do that in a number of ways. One of them is by following the links on this episode's page to all the books we've talked about. If they go to Amazon, well, you can buy those books via those links and it will in turn give back to Nerdy Show. You can totally buy all of those Morganville vampire books on Amazon. Oh, man. Totes. Hey, man, I'm sending all my uh, people <laughs> from my baby registry. They got to buy through the Nerdy Show uh, link. No, you sly dog. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, baby is right. <laughs> Well played, Peterson. Well played. And you can do that, too, I believe, if you want to muck around with the HTML and, uh, <laughs> and send out your own Nerdy Show links to line our coffers. Well, we would be more than grateful. But Nerdy Show is an entirely listener-supported podcast network. We're like the NPR of nerds. So um, support Nerdy Show. If you go to nerdyshow.com slash Amazon, you can always follow a link to support the show, the whole network, in fact. And uh, then also, you can subscribe on Patreon and get all kinds of bonus perks, including a ton of Nerdy Show Book Club bonus perks like alternate book readings and other other weirdness because uh, uh, we always record more than we publish when it comes to Nerdy Show Book Club. So be sure to check that out. Curious about a way to support us without money? That's as easy as rating and reviewing us on iTunes. If you have a little time, you can just pop in there and give us a five-star rating. The Book Club exclusive feed doesn't actually have many ratings yet, so we do need that. Or if you have more time, write up a review and share your book club experiences with the world. And if you're curious, before we dive in to the ocean at the end of the lane, <laughs> dive oh, in. ocean yeah, jokes. Uh, what it took me a minute, Colin? What's what's the next book? The next book is called Armada by Ernest Klein. Yes, Ernest Klein, the very same Ernest Klein who wrote Ready Player One, a, a previous. Uh, oh, oh yeah. is this is this is his new. This one. is his follow up. It's it's the see if lightning can strike twice. Basically, even when we heard about Ready Player One, we were worried that it was going to be a pandering puddle of crap, and it turned it out to actually be like charming, interesting, insightful. And this is a direct sequel. No, no, it's a completely okay. different story. Yes, yeah. here you Standalone. go. Standalone. It is. It, it is, however, clearly the last Starfighter. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yes, you should. If you have not seen The Last Starfighter, you probably should watch that prior to seeing. Who's the Death Blossom? (laughs) (laughs) The Death Blossom. Jesus. Such a good fucking movie, man. Anyway. Yep. All right, here we go. Jack Lightman has spent his life dreaming, dreaming that the real world could be a little more like countless science fiction books, movies, and video games he spent his life consuming. Dreaming that one day some fantastic world altering event will shatter the monotony 
of his humdrum existence and whisk him off on some grand spacefaring adventure. It'd be great if you stopped right there and be like, but this isn't that story. And those things never happened. He yeah. died of old age in a normal town. But let's talk about how he got there. And like, That's that would right. be great. I would be like, I'd read that. But then he sees the flying saucer. Even stranger, the alien ship he's staring at is straight out of the video game he plays every night. A hugely popular online flight simulator called Armada, in which gamers just happen to be protecting the Earth from alien invaders. Oh god, this is the last Starfighter. You weren't yeah, fucking it's, kidding. It's Zach's, it's Zach's chance at last to play the hero, but even through the terror and exhilaration, he can't help thinking back to all those science fiction stories he grew up with and wondering, doesn't something about this scenario seem a little familiar? This is like the last Starfighter meets Pixels. <laughs> Ender's game. No. I, oh well. I mean and, yes. and, and as as and usual, Ender's game, yeah. As as with Ready Player One, that sounds like a pile of pandering bullshit. But yeah. we'll it, have to read it. It, it worked That's... out last time, so we'll see if he can do this twice. Cause... It just seems like the same exact kind of thing again, but in space. I don't, Although, I don't know. I'm just rolling through the first uh, reviews here on Amazon, and they're not. Uh, the titles of these reviews are not. Since fantastic. when do we care about reviews, Colin? That's right. Look at the reviews <laughs> of his other book and tell me that they're not the same. They're not. Yeah, they're, exactly. they're not. I mean, I don't the know. I was guessing. All right. So the, our feature presentation, Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. My short review is, I absolutely loved it. It's a short book. I'd say it's a novella. It says a novel mm-hmm. on the front, but it is a novella. It's totally, you can read it on a single reasonably sized plane flight if you wanted to. Not me, but a normal person but could. It's a dark, moody, experiential novel that reads like, and I suppose this is quintessential of authors like Neil Gaiman. It reads like a adult fairy tale. Yeah. This book, even more so than so many of his others. I mean, like, this one is truly feels like a, a send-off to fairy tales. The way in which it's structured and the characters are not necessarily really explained in ways that fairy tales are so cryptic in some of, like, their explanations. And it's, it's just it's very compelling. It brought me both joy and massive amounts of depression at the same time. Oh. Why did it make you depressed? I can't, there'll be spoilers. I can't talk about it yet. The narrator is a young boy. It has a framing device. It's like a, a guy goes back to his old homestead where he came from and uh, remembers some stuff that he'd forgotten a long time ago. And it's kind of like him remembering is the act of telling That's himself the, book, the story yeah. of the book. It feels very personal. This feels a lot like it must have certainly drawn from Neil Gaiman's own life heavier and it than did. most. I actually, I read this book when, it, when we first did the episode. I read it right afterwards. And then this actually just recently, I listened to the book and it was read by Neil Gaiman. Um, the audiobook is by Neil Gaiman and, he's, and it's really fantastic. Um, I actually liked the book okay when I read it. And then I love the book after listening to him. I could have read. listened to him read his own book and I didn't. And no one told me I could do this. Yeah, man. I'm staring. Audiobooks. <laughs> I wonder. But I didn't know Neil Gaiman did his own. That's pretty awesome. I think I actually enjoyed the book better the second time around. So I wonder if it's not just the reading, but also mm. just the second time around. Because I didn't listen to Neil Gaiman's reading. I just reread it. Um, yeah. But did also enjoy it more the second time around. I really like That's this book. I identify with the main character a lot. It feels a lot like my own <laughs> feelings of, of childhood and, and oh. all of that. So. Yeah, the book is a really interesting study of children and their interaction with adults and how adults think and how children think and how we're very similar and so different 
in the way that we experience the world and what adults let go or what I love so much about it. Like there was a, there's a passage in the book that describes how essentially, even though we're older, we're still the same person. Um, We've just experienced more of the world, but we're essentially the same as we are when we're, when we're kids. I think essentially is that the the quote is along the lines of adults are, are still children on the inside. They're just basically pretending that they're yeah. these beings right. that are mature and older, but they don't, they're still the kids they always were. They still want and want to do all these things, but they restrict themselves for yeah. reasons that children looking at them have no idea why. Well, there's, right. a, this. there's a quote uh, before the book starts that um, Gaiman got permission to use of Marie Sendak um, having a conversation with Art Spiegelman. Marie Sendak said, I remember my own childhood vividly. I knew terrible things, but I knew I mustn't let adults know I knew. It would scare them. That's pretty much, yeah, the gist of it. I think that sums it up nicely. What you were talking about, Colin, of a child in, an ad- in the adult world and coping with the difference between perspectives, between those two different, very different mindsets, the book's interplay between those, it was so well done. It was kind of like the themes that movies like, say, Hook, for example, played with. Yeah, but done in a way that was far more realistic, compelling, and really grasped the fullness of of what that means of how there of the difference between an adult and a child in the simple aspect of of perceiving something, and especially for anybody who grew up as a bookish nerdy teen, this isn't a book that focuses on this kid being particularly nerdy, but like being bookish, being alone, spending time alone in their own little world, and then sometimes very engaging. introverted. Right, yeah, the introvert's lifestyle. If this, if this was ever you, you may see a piece of yourself it's just, in it's it. It's safer to be introverted. I suppose if this was ever you, and you existed in the world before <laughs> the domination of computers, then you may see yourself in <laughs> well, it. That's because why I'm see, sure it's very I, different now. I saw myself in this, but it's like, well, you never read tons of books. Yes, but I like to be alone in a room playing video games and being in fantasy video games and RPGs and escaping from the adult reality that I think is all bullshit. Mm-hmm. So, and I still do that. So, <laughs> as much as I can. I'm just old. I remember the time before video games. So, I don't. No, I don't. Uh, the before time in <laughs> the long, long ago. The, the land before time. time. The whole world that he creates with the, the magic in this book is really simple. And that's what I think is so interesting about Gaiman is that he also writes, uh, any of the books that he writes, his magic is relatively similar, but also relatively different in all of his books. They're not, it's not like the same thing that's going on throughout all of his books like there are aspects of the other place the other world that is just adjacent to where we are in so many of his books and especially in like my favorite book of his neverwhere it's all about the place that the magic or the world that is if you just knew where to look for it you would be able to find it and that's so interesting about this book is that he i feel like talks about that kids can find it still i have a quote that i wrote down about that Go for it. Read it. It says here, adults follow paths and children explore. Adults are content to walk the same path hundreds, if not thousands of times. Perhaps it never occurs to adults to step off the paths, to creep beneath the rhododendrons, to find the spaces between fences. I was a child, which meant that I knew a dozen different ways of getting out of our property and onto the lane, ways that would not involve walking down our drive. And it's one of those contrastive comparisons, like adults do the same thing over and over and children will just constantly find new ways of doing things. I like that quote. I I read it completely wrong, but it was good. Yeah. And then he finds this girl, Laddie Hempstock and the Hempstocks, who are just such an interesting family living on this farm, who are these magical beings who it seems like they're they are from the other place and live in our world. Colin, you were saying earlier uh, something about 
uh, Gaiman's childhood and how it tied into this. Like when we do these community read-alongs, it's not just us talking about them and you guys having read them. It also is you guys commenting on the forums if you want. Barry I thought it was a great book and was reading through and was and did wonder aloud on the forums how much of Gaiman's personal life went into the story, if any. Well, in the acknowledgments, he talks about how his sister found and gave him a bunch of old pictures from his childhood. And he had many long discussions with his family describing where they lived and what he did as a young child and where he would go. And he talks about how this book is very reminiscent of his life growing up, except, you know, the horror, obviously there's some pretty horrible things that happen in this book and that, that you know, obviously that's not true to his life. But um, he talks about how he wishes that even there was like a green barn that he saw in a picture too late that he wishes made it into the book. So like there's a whole bunch of things that I bet he wouldn't even necessarily describe, but it's just like remembering that, you know, he talks about the rhododendrons, Brandon, like just remembering that random bush or thinking about those small spaces that we would find when you were little. And I think that that has a lot to do with where he was going with this book and where he came, where it came from. I see that Brandon actually had to Google rhododendron. I wrote it down all funny. <laughs> and honestly, phone. guys, you know how long it took me to pronounce that shit? Like reading the book, I was like, well, I was like, what the fuck's a rhododendron? Rhododendron. A rhododendron. What the fuck is that? Oh, it's a bush. Rhododendron? Okay. It must be a Sussex thing. I don't know. Funny that you mentioned the acknowledgments, Colin, because I was actually going to say something about that. I've noticed I've actually, in the last couple of years, started reading acknowledgments in books all the time. And you actually learned a lot more than I thought that you would. And actually, like yeah. the, the part that you were talking about with Gaiman talking about his family, he says, the family in this book is not my own family who have been gracious in letting me plunder the landscape of my own childhood and watched as I liberally reshaped those places into a story. Yep. So yeah, it's, I think he based the landscape on his childhood, but definitely not necessarily like the horrible things that are, right. are happening. <laughs> there could um, be some horrible that. things that happen to him that he's forcibly forgetting there could Maybe. be but i mean he's got kind some of dark, the point of this story. got some darkness in him yeah he looks i imagine like he that but the way he wrote the acknowledgements it didn't seem to me like he was like shitty stuff happened to me and yeah one thing i had noticed in this uh, actually just after that part um he makes mention of stephen king and and this got me thinking that I feel like Stephen King is the Kevin Bacon of literature. What does that mean, yeah. Danica? I've, I don't know what I've that means. Everyone acknowledges, because everyone acknowledges Stephen King. Oh, all, because of the connection. So yeah. many books that I read will have <laughs> something about Stephen King in the acknowledgments, or I'll just like pick stuff out. I mean, one obvious one is a, one of the other books that I had read over the last two years were a couple of books by Joe Hill which I didn't know until I read the acknowledgments <laughs> that he was Stephen King's son. But reading the book NOS 482, Nosferatu, like there were so, like I read that book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, <laughs> it's a license plate. So that's why it's spelled uh, like that. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> reading that, there were so many things about what Colin was talking about before, like the place that's just out, you know, the the corner of your eyesight kind of thing. Like, that that's a, a big theme throughout Stephen King's books. And it's like that this he's, other area. This yeah. Other place. Well, that this parallel kind of space. I think they call it the other world, basically. Joe Hill, when referring to like his father's universes and, and those things and how all of those books have something to do with each other. Like 99% of Stephen King's books interlock in some way through this other world place. And 
you know, reading this book and realizing that that Neil Gaiman's using that same kind of device. Well, most it's it's interesting to me, and I, I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Actually, is how many of this generation's greatest authors, particularly the ones who dabble in the fantastic and unusual, all seem to have almost a belief structure suggesting that that in some way they feel that imagination and and fiction is drawn from a separate reality of some kind I, like, like an actual place that they're tapping i, into. I think it's yeah i mean the only the only reason i can see for that is because and this is what my brain is telling me is that our reality is such shit that they believe that like the best writers just like they hate this reality so much which is why they're writers and they write fantasy that they believe in this other universe that has all of these mythologies and mythos and, and magic and, and unanswered questions that will like, there's so much better for all their terror, like all the horrible things that happen in these other worlds or the good. There's so much mystery on like our world, which is just plain, dull and boring. So that's what I get from all these authors. They want to believe well, there's just, you know, in this other world. You know, I, I was thinking about that too, but also at the same time, you know, there's things about our world. Boring. That- Seem boring. Boring. But Stars they're, they're, boring. Dark matter they, boring. Whatever. They, no dragons they seem, calling. But, no, but no, but I mean, like, yeah, but like, think about it though. Like, think about like fireflies. Like, think about the fact that like there's these bugs that like light up in the middle of the night. Okay, and, but like, we you know how think, they work scientifically. I don't know how an old woman or sure or, or not fun someone who can magically vanish in but, front of you was like, like any, ever explainable. Of, that's sort of a creature. That sort of a, a thing seems like it could. That would. That seems like something that could totally come from like a fantasy novel this like little bug that like lights up the sky and at dusk like the sun is setting and you see these like dancing lights in the sky and like you think about that like that sounds like it's a fantasy novel but it's real like that we have that kind of stuff yeah but you, you know, can also look that- it up and explain it what it is and, really and, simply and explanation basically. corrupt huh, that's, Brandon? well that's what I, the thing is about fantasy is not everything has a mystery there's always like there's something greater than you're ever going to figure out and it usually involves like dragons but in our world things can always be explained actually there was a part in this book that oh, i should have highlighted that i wanted to remember where one of the hempstocks is talking about something in scientific terms oh god in, they, they in, mentioned they actually you know what that was amazing in more real world and terms. i'm just gonna say it they do mention something having to do with like they taste something and they're, they're talking about how it's something that should exist in a, another time but it doesn't and they know this because they can sense like the electrons and the neutrons are different right they I know that these electrons and neutrons are like brand new I and i was like that was the one part of the book where i'm like there's some science or and i'm like what the fuck's happening they and, never like and that's it's really cool that, that science is fantasy i mean i guess so i guess you're right that's like the classic Brandon Gerson pessimist view of reality and unreality is all that life sucks. So, uh, you know, it's not that life sucks. It's just that it's very boring and there's no magic. But I think that's a, a bit too simplistic of a, of a theory, because if you've read as many of these books as I've had, you'll you'll notice that that other world that they're tapping into because you think this world is so boring. It's just super science. No, they're just usually really terrible, shitty places where horrible things happen. Well, that's what I said, like, but they're still cool. Like many of the horrible, unexplainable things in this world come from that other fantasy world. Like Hitler. In 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 these books, like the Hunger Birds, that sort of thing comes from that place. That place just on... You know what, let me take the, back what I said earlier. There is a bit of science in here where they're, they're trying to kind of say that certain things exist and they're kind of scientific, basically. Sort of. It's well, this just, they is, can't this explain is, it. Gaiman works in what's being called, the genre is being called now, mythic fiction. What's it, the difference between that and magic reality? Is that... Is uh, the magic realism. Magic realism, yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that. Okay. There is a difference. I'm probably ill-qualified to describe it in, in short, 
but um, mythic fiction is things that have like where Gaiman feels like there's a whole there's a whole universe in this tiny book. There's a whole universe. You can feel the scope of it. It has a, a mythic quality to it. Magic realism is kind of like a simpler version. Like we describe this as a fairy tale, but magic realism is more like almost like folklore logic implied in in much simpler scenarios than what he's representing in this book. And here's another big difference is that for those who believe that the only good realism is not genre fiction, which is what someone who doesn't care for fantasy at all, that is a, a slur for anything that has a, a genre to it. In college, they were constantly like, oh, that's you're writing genre fiction. We don't do that. This is about literature. Like, fuck that. Well, the yeah. only good fiction is genre fiction. In, in, in many cases, fuck, yes. Fuck all you. Um, <laughs> I love but Morgan Freeman vampires. How, how, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that is. I wish that was a book. <laughs> it can be. I have turned you to a vampire. <laughs> but magical realism is accepted within non-genre fiction. Right. Because it's it's a slant on things. Is something not hard realism? Is it vaguely otherworldly? Then it may be magical realism. But and, and that's accepted for some reason. They're very full of themselves. But mythic fiction, mythic fiction is what Gaiman writes. It's what Pratchett writes. It's Mouse Guard. It's Sandman. It's all that stuff. I do like Mouse Guard. Now, I, I haven't read too much of uh, Neil Gaiman stuff, obviously, because I, I suck. And I, I'm really going, after this book, I really wanted more, so I'm going to. But does he kind of rely on this kind of feature where he, there's this other world playing on through most of his works? Or is it different? You know you know what I mean? Like how she was saying Stephen King has this like other world that persists in all of his books slightly, even I, maybe for I, a moment. I think honestly, Brandon, because I've, I've read a lot of Gaiman. I honestly think that what it is, is it's not necessarily like a place that you necessarily can go to, but there's an element of the hidden. There's an element of hiding in plain sight. Just throughout his works. And yeah, throughout his works, like they're like in Anansi Boys and American Gods and Neverwhere and the Graveyard Book. I mean, they're about how these places that you can go to, like some of them, we do go to those places, but a lot of them, like Anansi Boys, like it's about Anansi's kids and how they are using their godlike powers to Anansi um, being the, the spider African spider guy. Yeah, oh, yeah, I got that. Spider, I remember the song. African spider. There's a myth. song yeah. about it, and it's about how his sons are using the magic and that they have caused by the power of belief that people believe in Anansi and etc. or know of Anansi. They can control the world in some way, but they we don't see it as magic like one of them has the ability to sing really well and they that <laughs> song causes people to flock to him and find him attractive and he uses that to his advantage um and then the other the other son is like a a dullard and that's that small synopsis of a nazi boys is the dullard's rise to acceptance of himself and his own powers and stuff like that it's pretty cool I feel like the thread through Gaiman's books is almost less of an other world kind of quality like Stephen King's and more about the ability of humans to create myth, to make myth live through their belief. Yeah, and that's, that's really, really evident in American Gods. Definitely, of course. We have additional comments from the forums. Garrier loved the Hempstock women, the characters in it. He says they remind him a great deal of the witches in Terry Pratchett's Discworld books. Yeah, I did read those. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Citizen Stew says uh, he's a huge Gaiman fan and really enjoyed reading this. Neverwhere is still his favorite. Yeah, Citizen Stew. <laughs> but he loves the way that Gaiman mixes fantasy with the real world and, as he says, makes the stakes feel high in a non-cheesy way. Yeah, he really he's does. so good at that. 
the book is kind of stressful. I've, I've, you feel tense, I think, for a, a large part of this book. Yeah, um, it, it's actually like it got to keep reading. Like this is so bad. Like oh yeah. my god. Like is this gonna end? What's gonna happen? I mean, it only takes place over like a couple of nights, if even right. I think yeah, yeah. Thank goodness, because I would have pulled a muscle or something. So tense. I did pull a muscle <laughs> until it relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> the comedic stylings of Brandon Gerson. Thank you. Leave it to Brandon. It's here all night. I love it. Before we throw up the spoiler wall, let's do a reading. Let's get you into the world, maybe intrigue you enough if you haven't been intrigued enough to check out Ocean at the End of the Lane. I do have to say, I don't know if you guys have the hardback. This, we do. The hardback of this book, I love the page treatment that they did, the way that the paper the, feels. The deckled edges? Yeah. Oh, God, it's gorgeous. The soft cover has, a, has, has the deckled as well. Oh. It's not as Schmancy. deckled. It's not as deckled. This is way more deckled. Soup's deckled. In this scene, the narrator has met up with Letty Hemstock, and uh, they're going to the source of a strange, very subtle magic problem that is encroaching on the real world. She has taken him with her and has told him to not let go of her hand. My right hand held Letty Hemstock's hand as tightly as I could. She said, We're here. I thought I was looking at a building at first, that it was some kind of tent as high as a country church made of gray and pink canvas that flapped in the gusts of storm wind in that orange sky, a lopsided canvas structure aged by weather and ripped by time. And then it turned and I saw its face, and I heard something make a whimpering sound, like a dog that had been kicked, and I realized that the thing that was whimpering was me. Its face was ragged, and its eyes were deep holes in the fabric. There was nothing behind it, just a gray canvas mask, huger than I could have imagined all ripped and torn, blowing in the gusts of storm wind. Something shifted, and the ragged thing looked down at us. Letty Hemstock said, Name yourself. There was a pause. Empty eyes stared down at us. Then a voice as featureless as the wind said, I am a lady of this place. I have been here for such a long time. Since before. The little people sacrifice each other on the rocks. My name is my own child, not yours. Now leave me before I blow you all away. It gestured with a limb like a broken mainsail, and I felt myself shivering. Letty Hemstock squeezed my hand and I felt braver. She said, I asked you to name yourself, I did, and I ain't heard more than empty boasts of age and time. Now you tell me your name, and I ain't asking you a third time. She sounded more like a country girl than she ever had before. Perhaps it was the anger in her voice. Her words came out differently when she was angry. No. Whispered the gray thing flatly. Little girl, little girl, who's your friend? Letty whispered. Don't say nothing. I nodded, pressed my lips tightly together. I'm growing tired of this said the gray thing with a petulant shake of its ragged cloth arms. Something came to me and pleaded for love and help. It told me how I could make all the things like it happy. That they are simple creatures and all any of them want is money. Just money and nothing more. Little tokens of work. If it had asked... I would have given them wisdom, or peace, perfect peace. None of that, said Letty Hemstock. You've got nothing to give them that they want. 
Let them be. The wind gusted and the gargantuan figure flapped with it, huge sails swinging. And when the wind was done, the creature had changed position. Now it seemed to have crouched lower to the ground, and it was examining us like an enormous canvas scientist looking at two white mice. Two very scared white mice holding hands. Letty's hand was sweating now. She squeezed my hand, whether to reassure me or herself, I did not know. And I squeezed her hand back. The ripped face, the place where the face should have been, twisted. I thought it was smiling. Perhaps it was smiling. I felt as if it was examining me, taking me apart. As if it knew everything about me. Things I didn't even know about myself. The girl holding my hand said, If you ain't telling me your name, I'll bind you as a nameless thing. And you'll still be bounding, tied and sealed like a porter or a shuck. She waited, but the thing said nothing. And Letty Hemstock began to say words in a language I did not know. Sometimes she was talking, and sometimes it was more like singing, in a tongue that was nothing I had ever heard or would ever encounter later in life. I knew the tune, though. It was a child's song, the tune to which we sang the nursery rhyme, Girls and Boys Come Out to Play. That was the tune, but her words were older words. I was certain of that. And as she sang, things happened beneath the orange sky. And with that, it's time for us to throw up the spoiler wall for Ocean at the End of the Lane. If you're tuning out now, it's been lovely to have you. We'll see you next time, and we'll be here when you've read the book and want to check out what's behind the spoiler wall. Check out Armada, our next read-along book, and we'll see if Mr. Ernest Klein is he the wonderkind that he's been made out to be, or did he just get lucky? This is the proving grounds. Unfortunately, all eyes are on him, and the world is judging. So <laughs> let's join in and see how he does. But you don't have to take our word for it. Joe Barta says, I thought the book was good, but I didn't love it the way I did American Gods and Anansi Boys. It was such a short book, but to be honest, I still had to almost force myself to finish it. It just really? got really convoluted and bizarre. Huh. I mean, I didn't get that. I'm trying to think of what part would be the convoluted part. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I enjoyed bizarre, it. Bizarre, yes. The fiction part. <laughs> uh, Garrier said, I found the scene with the bathtub to be very powerful, and I think I identified with the boy a bit too much for my own comfort. Whoa. That boy needs a hug. Uh, Specifically in the bathtub scene? Do like, we need dude. to yeah. dial 911 for this guy? <laughs> yeah, Siri, he's dial 911. He's, he's all grown now. It's good. It's good. Okay. Well, he made it. He survived. Yeah. He should write a book. Yeah, you know, that I, scene I liked, was fucking I like I liked the bathtub scene a lot. It was really good because I hate water. And, and the Krugers, I, or there's, a, there's an account called Kruger 2.0 in the forums. I don't know if it's Caitlin or Ethan or both. It says, I enjoyed this book and give it props for being a very creative fantasy tale. It suffers from the same problem I think a lot of game and stories have. Specifically that the main protagonist is exceptionally passive. They don't really do anything even when something is trying to eat slash kill them. I much prefer a lead character willing to fight back against antagonists or monsters, even if they aren't successful at it. Okay, see, I got, I, I got that, but then I also was like, what would I do if I were a fucking seven-year-old kid in front of a fucking tent monster? I would just well, stand there I, and pee I, my pants. I personally think he fought back pretty hard. At near the end, yeah, in, he in totally took a stand later. But yeah, I, I do think, though, that what she's talking about, what, whoever it is, what, the Krugers, they, that's an interesting idea because he does use that device of having the novice figure out what the rules of the world are. Yeah. He uses that a lot. Yeah, um, almost constantly. Like a, a lot, a lot, a lot. I, I actually can't think of a book that I have read from him, and I haven't read all of them. Except Sandman in yeah, terms I was of like, his say, stories. Like, Sandman, Sandman's the only thing I can think of that has a protagonist that's like actually pretty like in the know, generally. Yeah, basically everybody else. I mean, like Neverwhere, it's like all about 
this guy figuring out and getting sw- it's all about like getting swept up into this world graveyard book kind of he's in the know but more along the lines of like he is a young boy who is figuring out what is the world that he's growing up in and not knowing everything that lies beneath the surface. And, and Coraline, same thing as well. So yeah, no, it's a good point. I, I think that, that surprises me that I actually forgot after my first read and then remembered my second read. The narrator is completely unnamed the entire time. Yeah, I was going to so ask about I that. I didn't light. remember until Brandon was like, I think he's dead. No, I didn't get that. <laughs> well, cause, okay, but... they don't mention who's at the funeral either. They don't mention who he's going to see. His parents are already long gone, so I'm kind of wondering who he's seeing. It's not his sister. It's not their children. I don't know who's at this Funeral. I think it's his father, but I don't know if there's enough clues to actually. I thought it was his father. Yeah, they don't. I, I was certain. I it was. swear they didn't mention it. I don't. Think, I looked I, for it. I don't think they mentioned it. Not specifically. Um, I just finished it again like a day ago. There is a point later where he says both of my parents are dead, but he doesn't specifically say that's why. He yeah, was I don't at the think funeral. he ever says whose funeral it is. Yeah. I feel like it would make sense if it were the father, though. I was totally like that was his own funeral. He's dead, and he's visiting this place. Dead. Done. I, I gotta say though, like he has like such an amazing just way with words. Like the very first fucking page, how he wore a black suit and a white shirt, black tie and black shoes, all polished and shiny clothes that normally would make me feel uncomfortable as if I were in a stolen uniform or pretending to be an adult. Today they gave me comfort of a kind. I was wearing the right clothes for a hard day. That's an amazing fucking opening line. Yeah, it doesn't I'm reading the rest of it. It doesn't it doesn't actually say anything about whose funeral it is. He just starts driving after that, and and yeah, no, he he's he's a good writer, but also very vague. Well, but he, well, this he is also but he deals novella. in mystery. Yeah. Like that's 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 his that's the currency that Neil Gaiman trades in. Well, let me let me bring up something, and then I had a little sort of argument with Denica about, and she's probably most likely right because she's sitting right next to me. But the <laughs> the hempstock. That's the only reason she she's convinced or has a theory that all three, and she's probably right, of the hempstocks are one in the same thing. They're different aspects of the same thing because you're explaining well, a, a mythology to it's me. It's the classic maid, mother, and crone, which I know nothing about. Uh huh. Oh, and that, yeah. I mean, and, and, though, in, in a way, <laughs> are we not all of us aspects of the same thing? Okay, but it's <laughs> it's based on the it's based on something near the end where he's back in present day and. Like he's going back under this spell of forgetting everything that's happened again, as he's done several times. Which is before. so fucking sad. No, exactly. That's no, why yeah. I was saying this book made me <laughs> depressed because of all the things he doesn't get to remember, all of the cool shit he's witnessed in the universe. But there's a line where Granny, old Granny Hemstock, is just like, "It's always been me. It's only ever been me." And you could take that one of two ways. One, like Denick was saying, all of those characters are an aspect of her. Or two, the way I think it is. He's currently falling back into that spell, and she's just guiding him into that. Like, it's just me. There's nothing else. Uh, I, that's so, the one I, I took it to. Well, from. see, but, I would but, say... But because of his vague writing, you don't know for sure. It's, it's not, never specifically certain. I don't think it's either or. It's one and the same. She's saying that, but she's also the maid mother and crone. According to you. That's my take on it. It's, it's both her, again, putting him under the spell or whatever we want to call it. But also, it, she's saying two different things at the same time. That's the way I take it. I, I, think it's I an, don't think it's, it's a, either or. It's an interesting concept, but I feel like why then would there be such a strong division between the different well, characters? Because they don't know what each other is doing, but they're from the same thing. But I, yeah, I mean, Unfor- I've seen something like that before. Yeah, but. unfortunately, I don't have a specific example oh, in mind. They're always, there's one of them who's available, there's other ones who aren't. Why would there but be But it's kind of like, and you've like seen that. this in, in like movies and video games where you have a character and they've like pulled something out of themselves and they're autonomous, they're independent. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. don't always know what they're doing, but they're still a part of you that you've created. I think I explained it to Brandon like having a multiple personality disorder uh-huh. where they are the same person, but they don't always know they're the same person, but they're still right. influenced by each other. And I, I wish I did. I had wanted to find a particular instance, but I just didn't have like there wasn't something I could Google that I'd be like, yeah, I know where I'm going to find that that thing. But I know I've experienced this in literature before where something yes. is three aspects of the same thing, but they right. aren't always aware of each other. Actually, there's another example in Neil Gaiman's work in American Gods. The two Russian guys, they were um, worked in a, like a meatpacking plant. And weren't they two aspects of the same god, the two brothers? Yes. So there's yeah. a specific one in Neil Gaiman's. It's not three aspects, it's two, but... Right, but I, I, I think, I don't know if I necessarily agree, but I do find that to be really interesting because like even though... Later on, when Laddie sacrifices herself for our protagonist and is, you know, taken up into the ocean, Mm -hmm. um, the ocean takes her and even the loss of the piece of yourself that you're losing. She says in the book, the protagonist asks Jenny Henstock, the middle aged one, (laughs) are you her mom? And she says basically like yes and no. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of things in this book that confuse me. I'm just saying. Well, there's, there's yeah, because there's yeah, because they talked about if you need girls, you need other women. If you if you hmm. only want boys, if you want to make men, you only need girls. If you you know, we're pure hempstock women. There's right. uh, there's also I was gonna say a part in the epilogue where the scene where the hunger birds or the the varmints they go to kill him and Letty jumps in the way and they kill her. But in the epilogue, it's described that no, he died. He's dead. And then she later like repaired his heart. He died in that scene and there and he's like, but I don't remember it that way. And she's just like, memory's a funny thing. They that literally oh. happens. And then there's a scene right like right after or something where it's just like they talk about a funeral. And there's a line here that says, like, you were here once when you were 24, but you had two young children and were scared, and you came here before you left this part of the world, which makes me think either she, literally because he, when he moved, or literally he left the mortal coil. I don't know. The way it's worded. I mean, maybe. Yeah, but if you're looking at Gaiman's actual life, then it is because he Yeah, he's left. talking about moving to America. Yeah. Well, I don't know right. his life. And we also are already experienced a part previously in the book where they snipped <clears throat> a part yeah. of Time Out and that's we sewed I, the scenes yeah, back that's together. I, that's what that is. Yeah, yeah that's what they yeah. did. They snipped that, that happening out, basically. Oh, and that's why he remembers it differently. Right. right. Yeah. Why would they even leave that part in? I mean, he just forgets every time anyway, but yeah, I just wonder. Well, no, it's a, he was just describing how it did happen, but it was snipped away and they fixed it so that it didn't happen. Same thing with the bathtub scene. Like they talked about how he experienced it and then um, she asked him if he wanted to remember it. And well, he said, yes, he, I believe so. But there's the choice of knowing something or remembering something that has exper- you've experienced. Like he um, remembers versus... the experience, but he doesn't quite remember what happened, sort of. Right. Right. Yeah. It was enough yeah. to, to influence his life, but not to have a, exactly. a real solid memory of it. Right. So no one yeah. else thinks he's dead. No. no. <laughs> you, you said that and I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because he just about? came from a funeral and they didn't say who and they never mentioned his name. And then she said, you leave, you left this part of the world and your sister misses you. And I'm you like, I don't know. That's really cool. maybe, her, maybe his sister is the funeral he just went to because he says your sister is like, you're keeping her waiting. Like after he said you left this part of the world last time you were here. Like, I don't know. I'm reading too far into it. Yes. <laughs> but, but when someone says you left this part of the world and they're a fucking mystic god wizard before the big bang it makes me think there's more <laughs> it makes me think there's more to this than just you literally fucking moved everything well, yeah, granny but- says is not exactly what it seems so why would that line be 
You know what I mean? But that's what's so cool. That's what I, I the find vagary so interesting of it. about this the book vagary. is that yeah. like, there, it lends itself well to like that idea of a fairy tale or a myth in that there's a ton of different interpretations of it. And, you know, but you is can there have a, a right d- interpretation is what I'm asking. I don't think that no. there is. Yeah, there, generally uh, authors don't care for there being a right, especially ones that dealing in mysticism don't really care for there to be a correct interpretation. But no one else, even for a second during the epilogue, thought there was a funeral. His sister misses him. You left this part of the world. Your heart hasn't fully repaired yet. Like, he's not really alive, but he could. Be. No one else even thought of that. No. no. She, there's even a part well, where she mentions, like, your heart's not fully, like, it's not intact yet. But, I mean, they fixed yeah, that. But yeah, but I, I feel like there were other things that that part about his heart not being completely healed was attributing to other parts in his life. Like, he had just gone through a divorce and, like, other, like he's not completely whole as a person. And he's also, yeah, like, did I pass or fail being a person? And it's like, you don't pass or fail being a person. It almost feels like he's in the afterlife waiting judgment somehow. And he just keeps coming back to the same place. I don't know where I'm getting that well, that's from, sort but of that's a, what I'm reading into. That's sort of a black and white interpretation. Like, you, yeah, what they mean, what, what I, I take to mean when you say you don't pass or fail as a human is that you cannot pass I mean, I or guess, fail I guess as a he, human. You I guess are he, a human. He is, he is alive because there's a part where she's like, I think you're doing better than you were the last time I saw you. You're growing a new heart for a start. Right. So I guess that would mean he's not. And humans are good and bad in almost equal measure. But and you're growing a so. new heart. I mean, literally, his heart was ripped out. So either it is literally growing or it means he's, you know, becoming a better person. Well, I think the I part know. where they're talking about him having a hole in his heart's not actually from when the hunger birds peck it out. They're talking the about that was left there from Ursula. Scar- Ursula uh, it's Scarthatch the Cube. It's the gate from Scar- Ursula Monkton's tunnel or whatever. Okay. That, that's her name is, that's what her the name is. Scarthatch. Okay, get a real name yes, right. Scar- you want to ever bind the Scarthatch of, of the Keep or something? Scarthatch Scar- Scar- of, of the Keep. Of the Keep. But that was the only part. The epilogue was the only part that confused me. I was just like, well, they set me up to think this way or this way, and there was just there weren't any answers, and I'm just like, well. I'm thinking back to everything happened. It is possible and it's also not possible. And that's kind of the point it could ever not have. And you'll never know because they can change whatever the fuck they want. And you have no memories. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> that's literally okay, what happened. Okay, okay bye. It, yeah, it was really depressing. It's like he just keeps coming back to this place and he's, he remembers everything and all this great, fantastical and horrifying shit that happened Mostly to him. Mostly horrible stuff. Mostly horrible. But <laughs> but you can't you can't say that. Like, if, I mean, you, if all this stuff happened okay. to your kid, like, I, I saw these things. Hold, hold on. Hold on, though. I mean, like, because you just forget. Universal truth was torn away from him, yes. But, at the, but the only good things that truly came out of those days were meeting a, a cool girl, admittedly very cool, hanging out with some cool old ladies, and eating some really delicious food hmm. against starving yourself, being drowned by your dad, being caught out in the rain. Watching um, your dad have sex with your With, like, some other lady, yeah. But he oh, also saw hot. a crescent moon. That was hot, looking he, through the window, he, yeah. He also Gross, saw, Colin. he also yeah. saw, <laughs> like, up that mini skirt. he saw grass glowing, he saw a full moon inside of a house when there was a crescent moon outside, he saw the hallways change, he saw these cool things, he saw people's minds change. Uh, that's, that's cool, but all the things that he, all of his, his a kid i'd be like holy but, shit but the, the things that were his rock his family like the, his core well-being was completely destroyed in some ways it could have been recovered in time but he said i mean i guess they severe, did that to protect him yeah they did make him forget because i mean it would be impossible for him to come back to a regular life knowing that it, well, caused, the, it probably caused them more well, trouble the, in the long the, run I, the right. problem i have with that is with the writing because there's a scene where they tell him he gets to decide whether or not he gets to remember or not this horrible painful memory of his dad and he's like and then this is where like he takes a stand. He's like, I want to remember it. And he burns it. And and then it's like at the end, though, they're like, they're not even giving him a choice. He won't remember it. But he, I feel like he's strong enough that he can remember this and be a better person for it. And they don't even give him a choice like they did before. That's what I don't understand. He was like, I need to remember this pain. It's well, not yeah, but good, shit, but I need to. Now they're like, like no, he doesn't change. get to remember it. Like 
they don't necessarily talk about time in terms of like if they know the future or what's going to happen in the future. I mean, she talks about like moving around the past and, you know, what has already happened. But like, I don't know if they can foresee what's going to happen to them next or him next. So I don't necessarily think that like by giving him the choice at one moment and then not allowing him to have the choice a mo- second moment because he essentially like killed a girl, like a girl died for him for like his entire life. And I don't think no, that they but wanted he him knew he knew that she was getting better that they told him like it would take a very long time, but she's not really gone. But she I guess they, they did say like she won't be don't... the same when she comes back. She'll be yeah. something else. But I think he could she's, take it. She's Scar Thatch <laughs> of the Keep. That's what it is. He did it to yeah. her. That's right. That's yeah. No, I that I can't. <laughs> no, yeah, no. <laughs> she's she's, she's er, Laddie Hemstock is Ursula Moncton. There's also there, the other thing that I was wondering like. In the beginning of the book, Granny Hempstock was like, they're saying, oh, the old country sank. And she's like, no, it didn't sank. The really old country blew up. Was she talking about the Big Bang? Because she said she totally existed before that. Well, the sinking, I thought they were talking about Atlantis, but that's Atlantis, not yeah. the really but yeah, old but country. She, but she even said she was back before the universe was around. Like, she was in the previous universe almost. Well, She I mean, says that. Yeah, so she, I'm like, when she says the old country blew up, I mean, literally, the Big Bang. Because what else could she mean? I, I'm trying I, to think of that, it. But no, that's, that, it. that's it's a very that's a very reasonable way to read into it. Yes. Well, don't I, they I'm, mention the Big Bang when he's like in? Yeah, the they ocean? do. Does, and that's yeah, why yeah. you go back and read the beginning. You're like, oh, that's what she meant. Because you only find out later that she's she was around when that happened. I'm also sad he didn't get to keep the weird ocean, ocean. kitten. <laughs> he didn't. He, he well, did. Thing, he did for years, though. And then yeah, when yeah. he left, it couldn't go with him. Because, and then he comes back and visits well, it, and be, he's like, I had a cat like this. Because the reality is that that cat was not a normal cat. It's still depressing. Okay. I want that. Doesn't make it any less. But it's also like a really interesting look at like adults and memory and like thinking about like what you loved as a child and like remember he he, because like in the book he talked about how he loved this cat Ocean and he loved this cat so so much and then he's like but I don't really know what happened to it. Oh well, I know I I guess I do know what happened to it. It died like everything. The distance of the years like affects our memory of what we experienced yeah, you know one minute you're reading gooflumps the next minute you've forgotten you ever read gooflumps at all <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah granny hempstock just snipped that right out of your experience <laughs> what kind That's of thread right. were they using i want to know what kind of thread they used oh it was out of his uh <laughs> out of his uh wet like nightgown wasn't it uh, yeah, I think thread. So. they sew back together his jammies or whatever the hell I don't think. Yeah, they, but they, I think uh, I think they use their own thread. I don't. I don't think yeah, they use a thread. But I'm saying like where the where the memory came from was. Oh yeah, his it came own. from his oh, wet oh, pajamas yeah, yeah. from when he was being drowned in yes. a bathtub, right. which was Jesus. a great was a great part of the book because you're just like his dad's always been nice and says he's never gonna hit him, and then this shit happens. You're like, oh, he's about to die. How is he? This is well, an ad, this is an adult under a spell holding him under the water. How the fuck are you gonna get out of this? You're not. Well, uh, what's also crazy about that is that like how Ursula Moncton, like her whole character is all like she wants to give everybody what they want. Like that's that's what her idea is. Well, except for him. He's different. Well, no, except for him. But at the thing, the thing is, is that like she said to the boy, she said that he was talking about how his dad held him into the bathtub. Mm-hmm. And Ursula Moncton said that like that was in him. Yeah, was like, it wasn't a spell he was under. She was just like, yeah, do do what you want to yep. his psyche. And his psyche said, I'm going to drown you, little prick. I mean, yeah. come on. We all have it in us to drown someone. Colin. Yeah, I knew that Every was day, coming. Colin. You got to keep that skin smooth for me under that water when you can't breathe. Well, yeah, no, but if I, die, if I drowned, then it would ruin my skin, Brandon. Well, I guess you're not drowning then, huh? Uh, for those keeping score. Um... <laughs> no, 
Uh, Brandon is very interested in, in in wearing Colin as a human, Colin's skin as a as a as a coat. It's just one of those things. Like you only live once. I said I was going to do it. I guess I'll do it at some point. You yeah, only live once. What do you got to lose? He's going to use my head as like a hoodie. You know, I never but, actually thought of that. I, I, but I guess I could. It's me, Colin. Why are your eyes in your mouth? They've always been there. <laughs> Give me an eyeball kiss. That's how Colin ends. If this was a real horror novel, though, honestly, I've thought about this every night, Colin. No, <laughs> I, I would totally, if I was wearing you, you would still be kept alive somehow through some right. system of tubes, wires, and artificial veins. Just you would feel every moment of me inside of you wearing you. <laughs> yeah, every year on uh, every year <laughs> Some on Hellraiser shit I, in here. Yeah, man. Every year on Facebook, when I get a year older on my birthday, Brandon's like, we're, you know, one step closer. Do you get the lotion I send you every year on your birthday for uh, your skin? Yeah, no, no, actually, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it now. It's special. Lotion. It's special lotion I've been making well, good. for my freezer. <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, the river in the end of the driveway. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that yep, was it. The Which river happens at the end of the in Florida all the time. <laughs> So, yes, I very much enjoyed it. If you haven't read it yet, but still listen to all this, uh, it's been thoroughly spoiled, but uh, you should still check it out because it's a very enjoyable experience. But don't take my word for it. <laughs> it's going to make you Does say it, that all uh, night. You know what? I, I think I, I give it a thumbs up. I think it gets the uh, Nerdy Show Book Club official Aunt Nancy seal of approval. Oh, yeah, 100%. Look, I really like it, and that's all that matters because I need to learn that reading is fun and good for me. And I am learning that slowly over the course of several years. Yeah. <laughs> one book every two years i'm learning that reading is good for me reading is fun and mental reading give me good, I mean, good vocabulary fun and mental i know what a rhododendron is <laughs> i think it's See? purple cap we get some bonus cash because he you know actually looks something up he's yeah. expanding his knowledge god they're gonna call me and be like say that in the form of a sentence so we know this is legit and i'm like oh the rhododendron they're oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> and all the money gets taken back and you're arrested for fraud Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Nerdy Show Book Club. We'll see you next time when we read Armada together. If you uh, got any additional thoughts on Ocean at the End of the Lane, feel free to uh, post them to this episode's Nerdy Show forum link where we have all of the discussion for the book. Or if we got everything wrong, like if you love uh, Wizard of Earth Sea, or if you, you know, like Denica, love that, what is it, vampire book? What's, what's it <laughs> Mor- called? I Morgan didn't say I love them. Morgan Freeman vampires. <laughs> Morgan Freeman vampires. And then also uh, hit us up about Armada, where we'll be uh, we'll be reading off your thoughts on the book and uh, and then talking about our own and what else we've been reading. An additional spot to uh, talk about any of these books uh, is also on the Nerdy Show Lounge, Cap. That is true. Nerdy Show Lounge is a hangout that is just for our most elite patrons over at Patreon. If you're giving us $10 or more a month, you get access to a private Facebook group where all the Nerdy Show hosts hang out along with all the fans. And a lot of discussions happen there that uh, that turn into subjects for episodes of Nerdy Show. And in the future, it will be an actual physical lounge that you can teleport to with your moon teleporting shoes. But we don't have those yet. Yeah, we're, we're budgeting that. But, mm-hmm. but eventually, yes. Mm-hmm. So support Nerdy Show if you can, if you're not currently doing it, even a dollar, really, literally, it's not even hyperbole, even a dollar helps the network. So if you can, that would be wonderful and you'll get cool stuff. So support Nerdy Show Book Club if you can at patreon.com slash nerdy show. Even a dollar, really, it's not hyperbole, even a dollar a month is super valuable and gets us closer to the milestone we're currently working towards in which we're able to pay editors so Nerdy Show Book Club and other shows can return on a regular schedule. 
As evidenced by this massive gap in episodes, sometimes we need more than paid editors to make it happen. But we love doing book club, so we're going to fight the uphill battle to keep it going. Like I said at the beginning of the show, we're going to try for a release every two months. So that means you've got until sometime in July to read Armada. In our crazy long absence, we've had many fans ask about book club, and that means a lot to us. If you love the show, we want to hear from you. Not just on reviews through iTunes, though those are great, but also on the forums and the comments, even emails if you feel like being discreet. Reach out to us and let us know what you love the most, what you want to hear more of, or just that you like book club. It means a lot. Taking us out is an excerpt of a track by The Returners, a truly stellar video game music cover band. This is their rendition of a track from Star Ocean. It's called Endless Sea of Stars, and it's from their debut record, Immune to Silence. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Danica. Bye, I'm Brandon. Bye, I'm Colin. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, like and follow us on SoundCloud and Audioboom, or subscribe to us and stream on Google Play. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network, and there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com and be sure to follow Nerdy Show on all your favorite social networks. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. I'm the bathroom master of a real bowl blaster. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> what is happening here? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.